Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We have some big blues news, Alex. You mean the training camp opening up on Thursday, the first oh, preseason on Saturday? We'll be out at Centene Community Ice Center on Wednesday. Well, you will we be. We will be out at Centene. You and I on Wednesday. No, you probably will be at Centene Community Ice Center. I will be gone on Thursday and Friday, part of my unlimited vacation package. I am man, what a deal. That, that needs to be a punishment. Again. That needs to be a punishment. This weekend. What that I can't go Tanner on vacation I, for the no, rest of the Tanner year. and I only get to use your vacation days. <laughs> yeah. Thursday and Friday, you guys will be out there, so we'll be able to see the new look blues defensive core. Oh yeah, all eight of them. Unfortunately, the news today, the Blues have announced that Marco Scandella is going to undergo surgery on his right hip joint. That sounds awful. (laughs) He apparently injured his hip in late August while training for this season. He is set to be reevaluated, not ready to go reevaluated six months from now. So let's go ahead and do some quick math, Alex. October, November, December, January, February, late March is when he's going to be reevaluated. So playoffs. More or less, he's out for the season. Yeah. Like that's that's what that means. So the expectation, at least from me, is that Marco Scandella will be placed on long-term injured reserve. He will not play during the regular season. That $3.2 million uh, that he is expected to be paid this year will be freed up, so to speak. Unfortunately, it's because of an injury. But what does this mean? Let's start internally. What does this mean for the Blues defensive core? in your mind well it takes away and i know people are gonna push back on this but it takes away a for sure player on your defensive pairings because you don't know if marco scandella was going to be in every night but you knew marco scandella was a guy who had experience and could play and in fact as much as we kind of give problems to marco scandella he he played very well as a third pairing defenseman with robert bortuzzo last season So now it puts more of the unknown in front of the Blues of, okay, well, now your bottom pairing defenseman is going to be Nico Mikola or Scott Perunovic. That's the bad side of things. But on the good side of things, you got more playing time for Scott Perunovic because honestly, before this, I didn't know how Scott Perunovic was going to be playing in hockey games for the Blues. And they weren't going to sit him in the press box. I just can't imagine they were going to be putting nearly $5 million in the press box every single night between Mikkel and Scandella so Perunovic could play. 
So I think this opens up an opportunity for Scott Perutovich to outplay Nico Mikola in training camp and be your sixth defenseman. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I think if Perunovic outperforms Mikola in training camp, that he will be the guy that ends up getting starts. And if he doesn't, then I think they still send him down to the AHL because I don't think you want Perunovic sitting up in the press box. I, I think if you're going to have Perunovic on the roster, it's going to be playing. It's kind of what the Cardinals do with their young players. We're not going to call up a prospect like a Nolan Gorman, for example, if he's not going to have an everyday role. And I think the Blues are going to do the exact same thing with a guy like Scott Perunovic. He's going to get an opportunity to win that sixth pairing defenseman or third pairing defenseman role and potentially I don't know if they would do it or not right off the bat potentially be a part of that second power play unit as well and if he doesn't win it then you just send him down to the AHL and allow him to continue to grow and then you can bring up someone like a Cali Rosen to just be that seventh defenseman and Mikola becomes the guy that pairs with Robert Ford too so I don't think Perunovic has anything left to do in the AHL like I, I think I'm we saw you. last year that he dominated that league he he's not gaining anything by going down there I know you would prefer not to have him as a seventh defenseman, but at some point he's got to be here with the NHL club. And I think that time is right now. Let's find out what can you do? And if that means he plays 40 games this year and he kind of splits time, what I could see them doing, Alex, is maybe it's a rotation of Perunovic, Mikola, and Bortuzzo on that third pair. And those guys are all kind of filtering through. It's almost like a platoon situation with a major league baseball team where if you're going up against a more powerful team, what you're going to use is Mikel and Bortuzzo on that third pairing defensively. If you're going up against a speed team, maybe it is uh, Perunovic with one of those other two guys. And that maybe it's good for Bortuzzo at this point in his career to play closer to 50 or 60 games than it would be to try to play the full 82, especially with the style that he plays with. It's going to keep all three guys a little bit more fresh. We know that Perunovic has dealt with some injuries in his past. Less usage might be a good thing for him as he eases his way into the NHL uh, roster. I don't know what that means for the power play because you would prefer to have some of that chemistry that is able to develop with Perunovic as your point point man on that group. So maybe he doesn't start out as the point man until he becomes a true every night type of a player. But I think that's the way that I would do it. I think Perunovic makes this roster now barring something unforeseen in training camp. And those are your 7D. Letty, Pareko, Krug, Falk, Mikola, Bortuzzo, and Perunovic now is able to officially make your NHL roster. Was you talking about the platoons? I think actually it could be Perunovic as you're in there every night and your pl- platoons are Bortuzzo and Mikola. Maybe. I think that's because I do believe that they want Perunovic to be that second power play unit because then they can take Justin Falk and, and Nick Letty off of it and not play them so that they can focus on penalty kills and five on five play because that's the one thing that they had to go through when Tori Krug was unavailable was Perunovic played on one, but then you were using, using Falk on one and Pareko on one. And those are the guys that are your workhorses when it comes to the penalty kill and late in games. You don't want to be wasting those extra minutes on the power play if you have another playmaker. So, since you said that hockey guy BK over here, I actually think that's a great idea. I think Perunovic will be your everyday left in defenseman and you're going to platoon Mikola and Bortuzzo on the right side. The only problem is Mikola is a lefty, but he's played on the right yeah, before you can make it work. And you can make that stuff worth, especially if you're playing as a third pairing defenseman where you're going out there to just stir some stuff up and bring that physical presence. Six, five, seven, eight, Oz air comfort service tax line. I want to hear from you guys throughout the day today. We got this from the th- six, one, eight guys. Do you think that Doug Armstrong will do anything with that $3.2 million that he now has in LTIR money? So I have a cap sheet because I'm a total nerd uh, that I keep track of According throughout the offseason. calculations on the Blues salary cap. Based on the numbers that we have that are publicly available, I've got the Blues with roughly $2 million available right now in, in cap to spend. They oh, were yeah. over the cap 
with the Marco Scandella well, money. Why the hell didn't they sign David Perron, BK? <laughs> I know. Now you've got $2.1 million to play with. Alex, do you think that there is anything that they could go out there and do? Because with that $2.1 million, just for heads up for people, they will be replacing a player. So you effectively have close to $3 million to spend right. on a new player because you're taking off a player from your current roster if you were to bring somebody new in. So just yep. to make the, mo- the money work, the math work, you've got about $3 million in salary that you could spend on a player well, if you one, wanted to. There's one player that makes all the sense in the world for me that I wish they would go out there and make a move for. I don't know if they would, but it's it's Jesse Puyarvi from Edmonton. I mean, I've talked a lot about him before, probably a member of the Ferrari 05, because you know me, I'm like hitting those like gold these days. But this is a guy that I that has been comped to Valerie Nachushkin when he was with Dallas and he just never lived up to his potential. He went to Colorado and look at him. He was one of their best players on a Stanley Cup run. He was an RFA. He signed with arbitration for $3 million. And from everything I've seen, Mark Spector has been reporting on this. Jim Matheson has been reporting on this. Edmonton is still looking for a trade partner with Puliyarvi. And at some point, they're going to have to say like, Hey, we're not going to get what we feel like we deserve for him, but we want to move him regardless. I mean, I'd kick the tires on this if I'm Doug Armstrong, and I don't know if they will because it seems like they're pretty much set with their roster, but you're losing a defenseman to where you felt like your strength was, to where you had eight guys who could play on the back end. Now you've only got seven, so now I'd be looking at strength elsewhere, and I would try and strengthen up my top nine forwards once again. So... If there's a move to be made now, I think it's Jesse Puliyarvi with Edmonton. And if not, then I would say if I'm Doug Armstrong, I'm saving that cap space for trade deadline time, and I'm going to do what Colorado did and go get myself an Arturi Lekkonen. That's what I'm looking at, because I'm not sure there's anybody right now that I'm all that interested in. I do prefer, though, the ability to go out there at the trade deadline. You could acquire a $4.5 million player based on the money that you have currently available. And why I say that is because at that time, you'll have the prorated money, right? So last year, remember, you could take off basically half of the salary for the guys that we were talking about. But even then, you still had to move money out because the Blues were at the cap. So this year, if you get to the trade deadline and there's a player that you look at and you're you're going over to spot rack, right? And you're trying to find, okay, who are the guys that they could fit right now? Yeah, there's nobody. You could go up to 5 million bucks, basically, for a player that could come in and immediately help them. Man, there are a lot of guys that fit into that category that could be interesting for the Blues at the trade deadline. So that's the way that I would go about it. Patrick Kane, anyone? Well, I think he makes a little more than five. No, it's (laughs) prorated. Remember, it's prorated. Um... You, you could find somebody that you could yeah. go out there and acquire that now can fit underneath your cap based on what they have available to them. So I would hold this. Yep. I think your team is fine as is. You can learn what Jake Neighbors has for you early in the season. And if he works out, maybe that means you don't have to go out there and acquire a top nine forward. Maybe you bolster that, that blue line once again this year and you kick Nicoletti down to that third pairing if it looks like Perunovic isn't ready to go. You, you've got some time now to learn about your team before you have to make that move. And I would want to learn about my team before I make any sort of a rash decision early on in the preseason. That's the other thing. I mean, Jacob Chikrin's name was, we spent a lot of time talking Jacob Chikrin. And I mean, that cap works itself out. If you look at it and you say, okay, well, we need somebody else at the trade deadline to bolster it. But that's the way I would go unless you can get Pooley Yarvey, because I think you, as much as I want to see neighbors get that opportunity. And apparently Zachary Bolduc impressed and JR has got a great article on Bull Duke Mm -hmm. on the athletic, but he impressed as a winger in Traverse City, so he's going to get a lot of looks. And then Logan Brown, you know, one of the top five best moves by Doug Armstrong. 
those are going to be the guys that are going to be fighting for that top nine spot. But now that you have the cap available to you, if you can find a way to fleece a team like you did for Pavel Buchnevich, a team that's just trying to get rid of somebody, I'd at least take a look at the market before training camp starts to get the player acclimated. But if I can't find anybody, that's the move. That's the move right there to say, hey, we got a great team. Defense plays well. Goaltending spot on. We just need one more forward. You go out there and you find a way to make that deal for three and a half million dollars. I figured we would get a text like this. This comes from the 636. It is truly impressive how much Doug Armstrong has botched this offseason. I understand it. The reaction today for some is... How could you have this situation taking place and not re-sign David Perron? I'll be honest, that was my initial reaction. As I thought more about it, if the if we take them at their word that this happened in August, they didn't know that they had this money available to them back in June and July. So this money was not there to be had for David Perron. If they had the extra $3.2 million in July to be able to re-sign David Perron, do I think that they would have brought him back? I think it would have been a hell of a lot more likely. Because then, instead of deciding, are we going to keep Letty or Perron, it could have been, let's keep Letty and Perron. Yeah. You had the money to be able to do that. Now, in future years, it still gets a little dicey. But for this season, at least, that makes it possible. So, if I'm taking them at their word... It's not that they botched it. It's just really unfortunate timing that this happened in August as opposed to in June. Absolutely. Like, that's that's the part for me. Like, if this is true where it happened in late August when he was working out with the players, then there's nothing you could have done. Like Evan Rodriguez, we talked about him. You could have got him for $2 million if this would have happened back in July, but it didn't. Or Nino Niederreiter, who signed his contract. I think he signed for around, what was it, $3 million with Nashville. Could have pulled that trigger. But again... Oh, I'm sorry. He was four million, so you couldn't have made that one work. But all but you of might the, have been able to move some things exactly. around. There would have been other things that you could have done all if you that had that time. Rides on when this happened to Marco Scandella, and if it was late August, all of these players were gone. Like the only guys that were still out there that I thought would have made sense was Zach Aston Reese, but he signed a PTO. So these guys were all off the board at the time that Marco Scandella's injury came into place. The other thing is. You don't know if Doug Armstrong wants another forward. Yeah. Doug Armstrong might say, like, why would we? We don't need another forward. We've got plenty of guys competing for roster spots right now. And now defense, this actually might work out perfect for the Blues to where they can say, rest up and get available for us in the playoffs if we need you. Some other breaking news of the NHL. It has officially been announced by the Colorado Avalanche. No. Nathan McKinnon has re-signed for eight years. We do not have the oh, terms say, on that in terms of the money. But if you had to guess, we'll get to this. I'm sure there will be an announcement soon on the money. What would you guess is the AAV, the average annual value? Eight years, 11 million per year. Tanner, what's your guess? I think he's going to set the new record. I, so what's the record now? 11? 12 and a half. 12 and, I think. and a half. I think he's going to be at 12.75 or 13. I, I think he breaks a record. I, I don't think he'll take for 11. Ooh, this, is his, this is his contract, too. So I might lean more towards T-Bone because eight years is going to take him up to being 35. Yep. This so he might be at 12, 12 and a half. Uh, he might be right underneath Connor McDavid. I would say like 12.25. I bet you he signs the same as McDavid. I bet you it's 12.5. Right right oh. around that McDavid God. number is my guess. Wouldn't, wouldn't, you, wouldn't just rub you the wrong way if you're Nathan McKinnon and be like, ah, sign me for like $100,000 more than Connor McDavid. He just might. so Connor goes to Edmonton and be like, ah, I need a little bit of a raise. Yeah, he might. We'll, we'll find out more about that as we go today. Ooh, Whenever we get the official spot. numbers, uh, we will let you know. It'll be tough over the next couple of years, but 
by year four or five of that deal, I bet you it looks like a steal. It'll be tough once Miko Rantanen comes to the table and says, I want to get paid. You're going to lose one of them. Yeah. And that's what you do. Because you got Nathan McKinnon, and you've got a below-market value deal right now on uh, some of your other guys that you've been able to keep, including one of the best, if not the best, defensemen in the NHL and Kale McCarr. And you just keep on keeping on. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, last night was a coming-out party for Jalen Hurts. I think week one, people were a little skeptical still. What if he's just good? We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. 12.6 mil. He is now the highest paid player in the league. Here you go. So he he slightly one upped what they uh, what they previously. So that was a hundred thousand yeah, dollars more than when, McDavid when he did that when he had those comments. What was it two weeks ago where he's like, I'm I don't do like it. being underpaid. He I don't said, like being said, underpaid, and I want to get a fair deal. I went okay, yeah. Fair but deal he also made it seem like player. he was going to do something that was going to benefit Colorado. I think this does. The eight years is what benefits Colorado because in eight years this is going to be a deal for them. Man, so next season when his contract kicks in, they're going to have. They're going to have $29 million tied up in their top three. And then they're going to have their top five forwards will be $40 million. Half of the salary cap will be tied up in their top five forwards. And then you add in Kale McCarr and there's, what, 50? $50 million for your top five players? Yeah. I mean, it it, it, it changes the way that you're able to build. Absolutely. But the the interesting part with it is Eric Johnson is a free agent after this season. So there's $6 million that they can figure out. So regardless, it's going to be tough for a team because they're they're going the Toronto Maple Leafs method where you're paying your best players five. You're paying the five guys that are the best and you got to fill out the rest. Can you fill out the rest? They're making a bet on the belief that they can fill out the bottom six in their roster and... Their scouting and their development plan will continue providing them cheap, young, cost-controlled players. Yep. And And if they they can do that, if they're right, then they're fine. And they figure they'll bargain bid on the goaltender. They just won with Darcy Kemper. They can find somebody to fill the net, and they'll be good. Yeah. Our our guys that are in front of them, the skaters, are going to be fine, and they'll be able to make up. It's basically like the the Cardinals' belief that our defense is going to be so good that it will make up for the lack of star-level pitching. It will make our ground ball pitchers better than what their numbers would say that they are supposed to be elsewhere. Yeah, it's pretty much what these guys are. Wow. If we have a neutral goalie, it'll be good enough that our defense and our skaters are going to be making them look like maybe not elite, but pretty darn good. Absolutely. It's going to be enough. Coming up in about 15 minutes, what does it mean for the NFC if Jalen Hurts is a legit starting caliber NFL franchise quarterback? We'll get to that at 1130. But next, the Cardinals yesterday quietly made a move that we've been waiting for. I got to be honest, though, it surprised me that they actually made it. We'll tell you what it is next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yepes hits it out. Goodbye. Oh, it gets out of the hurry. Three run homer. One on Father's Day. And the Cardinals again, a late ninth inning rally here in Boston. That audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. It is official. Juan Yepes coming back up to the big league club. The Cardinals announcing yesterday that they have optioned Nolan Gorman down to AAA and they are bringing back Juan Yepes. Alex, this is something that we've talked about over the last week or so as a possibility if Nolan Gorman didn't get things turned around. And he just never did. I'm surprised that they made the move, but I do think it's one that makes sense for them. In the last month, Nolan Gorman is batting 150. In that stretch, and this is 70 plate appearances, 
He has 26 strikeouts in his last 60 at-bats. He's right around a 50% strikeout rate. He looks lost at the plate right now. I think they are absolutely correct in two things. One, there was no longer a role for Nolan Gorman on this roster. He wasn't pinch hitting late, even when it was a platoon advantage for him, potentially. He wasn't a guy that was starting as a DH against right-handed pitching anymore because that was something that Albert Pujols has taken on. He no longer has your defensive value at second base because Brendan Donovan has passed him there on the depth chart. Even when you're going into a late game and you need somebody, it's been Paul DeYoung that's going into the game over Nolan Gorman. There, He was your last guy on the roster, even behind Ben DeLugio. Whoa. There was just nothing left for Nolan Gorman to offer this team right now. So I think you do have more value currently with Juan Yepes and his bat than you did with Nolan Gorman. I like the move to send him down. However, what did you make of this yesterday when you found out the news that Nolan Gorman's going down and Juan Yepes is coming back up? It had to be done. First of all, Nolan Gorman lost all of the playing time. And what does John Mozeliak always say about these young players? They've got to be playing. I I don't know. You said 70 at-bats over that span. I don't even know how many games he started. It had to have been 17 over the last month. He has started 17 games, but it has really slowed down in the the month of September. It's got to be less than five. Let me check here. In the month of September, he has nine starts. Wow. That's surprising because I would have said less than that in the month of September, but he lost He's only his, had two in the last week, though. He lost his playing time. Yeah. I mean, Brennan Donovan has overstepped him. You said it all. Great. I mean, Ben Delugio is getting opportunities more than Nolan Gorman right now. The defense isn't helping them at second base. The bat's not playing well for this team as a DH. So what is his role? So if I'm running the Cardinals... I don't need this 21, 22-year-old kid sitting on the bench and thinking, man, I'm awful. I need you to go hit. And you did it with a ton of different players this season, and it's paid off. With the exception of Paul DeYoung, it's dipped back down a little bit. But you need reps for Nolan Gorman. So I, I completely understood that. It was inevitable that that was going to take place. I also, you need Juan Yepes back up here with the team. I mean, the dude is slashing 275, 357, 520 with an 877 OPS and seven home runs since he was back with Memphis. What what does he do? He's doing what he was doing last year in Memphis, and they just wouldn't call him up. Mm -hmm. So because Nolan Gorman, and I know he's a lefty bat, but because Nolan Gorman's bat wasn't playing, you needed to get somebody whose bat was playing. You got plenty of defensive depth in the infield with with, uh, DeYoung and and, uh, Donovan and now you have another DH option in Juan Yepes. So it made sense. Yeah, it didn't really surprise me that they made the move because I thought it made sense to do so because you're sitting down Gorman and go work on stuff in AAA. And sure, their season's coming close to an end, but he had lost all confidence clearly here at the major league level, and he wasn't going to regain that here up at the big league club. So you set him down, he gets someone up here like Juan Yepes who can hit right-handed, left-handed pitching. He can give you a bit of a platoon maybe you put him in the outfield he can play first base if you need to get Goldie off his feet some more days and I think honestly you give him a run and see if he can become your DH against right-handed pitching because as much as right now our pools is that guy I think you're still looking for someone to beat him out because we talked about it a lot you didn't have any left-handed bats that were beating Albert out for that job and Albert's done a good job against right-handed pitching but he's still not the he's still better against lefties and you can utilize him better on the bench against right-handed pitching to have him come off when a left-handed reliever comes into a game so now you get a guy like Juan Yepes up here. Probably, I wouldn't be shocked if he's starting at DH today against uh, Clevenger. That way they can just see what he looks like, see if he can hit right-handed pitching. There's a bunch pitching. of lefties coming up, too, so Albert's yeah. going to get his opportunities. So I, I, I think the move made all the sense in the world. Now, defensively, I don't think you can start him in the outfield because you're looking at an outfield of Dickerson in left, him in right, and... Oh. 
Carlson in center. Nope. And that's just a very below average defense. So I don't think he can start in the outfield right now. I think it's either him or Dickerson. One of the two can be in the lineup, not both at the same time in terms of being out in the field. But oh. I, I think he was worth bringing up to just see if his back can play. I'm not playing that outfield defense. I might. Like, I know that sounds crazy, but, like, Lars Newbar's doing nothing for you offensively right now. Now, in a best-case scenario, Lars Newbar should be your starting right fielder. But Lars Newbar's batting under 100 over the last month. At some point, I've got to get some kind of production from the outfield. I'm losing more value right now offensively with Lars Newbar than I am gaining from him defensively. And until that changes, and I hope that it does... Like against these left-handed pitchers that you're about to go up against, I would start Juan Yepes in the outfield. And then you can start one of Dickerson or Newtbar. Maybe what you decide is because there's so many lefties, I'm going to split the time between those two guys, Dickerson and Newt. And I'm going to give Yepes all of those opportunities. Cause I think it's what four of the next five games where you're going up against left-handed pitching yeah. Yeah. in those games. That's where like Yepes should be starting each of the next five games. Mm-hmm. He will start today for me against Clevenger as my designated hitter. And then over the next four, when you're facing lefties, he's going to be starting in my outfield somewhere. I know he's terrible defensively. I totally get that. But right now you're losing so much offensively out there that I've got to make that up somewhere. And hopefully he can do that with his bat. Yeah. And because you need more offense right now, I understand it. It's that's just going to be uh, with this Tyler O'Neill injury. It, it ruins the Cardinals hopes of an ideal outfield because yeah. I mean, ideally I would have, I would have been completely fine with Dickerson, O'Neill, Carlson, and Yepes is my DH or even Yepes with O'Neill and Carlson in the outfield because if the bat is playing and then Dickerson can be your DH, but you're right. I mean, as much as I say that Newt Barr is better defensively than these two options, and he is, he has had his blunders in the outfield, and if you're hitting 100, you don't need to be out there, and your offense has gone so stale lately. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm agreeing with you that I think I would actually have an outfield of Carlson, Dickerson, and Yepes tonight just to see what it looks like. See, I, I don't think they'd do it tonight because I think right now you view Newt Bar as kind of being that one bat that just doesn't hit currently. Like, you know, when you look at a lineup, you always have that one guy that, that it's right fine. Now. Oh, I think if it's just one guy, and I get it, there are multiple guys that are going cold. And Yachty's been swinging the bat better in uh, September, which allows you to do this, in my opinion. I think you still throw out more of a defensive-minded outfield in terms of starting Newt Bar and just batting him ninth against right-handed pitching and view him as kind of that yeah, tonight I'm starting bat. The next I, couple, I think the next four lefties, days, though, I'm putting one of those two, Dickerson or Newt Bar, out there. And somebody on the text line said um, that Yepes has better splits against righties than lefties. It's not so much about his splits as it is the other guys. Yeah. Right now with Lars Newt Bar and Corey Dickerson, Dickerson's hitting everything, but Newt Bar's hitting nothing. So I would put him out there instead of Newt Bar against the left-handed pitchers over the next few I, days. I wonder now, I think they probably will do that against lefties, but I wonder if they will consider something along the lines of maybe moving Donovan to right and then going with oh. Yepes and left. That way you keep Yepes in the Who's weaker position. Edmund at second, then you start Young at short. Well, now now you, we have I mean, got a defense two bats. But I, I, I th- you still only have the one bat that's not hitting, and that would just, instead of Newt Bar, it's DeYoung now, and he's batting ninth. Like, I, I think that would be the thing that they look at. That way they can justify the I defensive don't think they're starting replace. I would um, be absolutely I, yeah. shocked. I can't believe DeYoung's still on the roster, but, I mean, he's here for something. And if it's going to be anything, it should be to be a good defensive-minded infielder. And if that's the case, I think your outfield's better defensively if you've got someone like... I don't know uh, if it's Donovan that much out there. Donovan out there. I think it's better with Donovan out there than Dickerson and the Yepes combo. I think Yepes I think and Donovan is, are better. But I don't think it is so much better that I'm willing to put that bat in there that looks hopeless right now. Yeah. Like De- DeYoung 
his at-bats look like Gorman's at-bats did. And if you had the opportunity to send him back down, I think they would, but they can't because he that was the reason why they did it when they did. He, he has reached the level of service time now that he can refuse an assignment. So I think they're just keeping him here right now. All, this sounds crazy to say, but Paul DeYoung has the same role on this team as Ben Delugio right now, except for the, the lack of running. Like yeah. Ben Delugio's role might even be bigger currently. Because he's what Paul DeYoung's stolen is. bases guy with a yeah. pinch hit or pinch running. They're defensive replacements late in a game. So late in a game, Tanner, to your point, the, the alignment that you just mentioned, that might be what they go to. But I just think that's something you go to in like the eighth or ninth inning when you're up late and you're looking for your basically your all hands team. Your your team has had a, a streak of just inconsistent offense over the last two or three weeks. I need my offense to come off of this road trip feeling great about themselves. And so that's why, despite the defensive liabilities, I'm playing the guys that I need to get going, which would be Dickerson, Yepes, Donovan. I'm just not putting Paul DeYoung in my lineup right now because I don't need his bat. I need everyone else's bat. See, I I just lean towards trying to build a better defensive alignment because the offense is just going to go through Goldie and Arnato. Like, Anybody else is hot. Long as I got two guys getting on base in front of him, Goldie and Arnado are the guys that carry the offense. Goldie and Arnado aren't hitting. It don't matter how good of a quote unquote that's offensive true. lineup I build. So if that's the case, I'm basically just going to build as best a defensive lineup as I can with the roster that I have. And then if Goldie and Arnado just don't turn it around, well, it's just going to be one of those games where we got to try and scratch across one or two runs. Like the offense is totally just Goldie and Arnado. You can't. Con- in my opinion, this lineup has not been able to construct a offensive-minded lineup, except for when Dickerson got hot there for a little while and he was hitting fifth for you. Otherwise, it's just Goldie and Arnold, the guys that carry the show, and you just need the guys on base in front of them. And to me, you can't build a maximized offensive lineup here. So against left-handed pitching, your construction of your lineup would be at second base, short, left, right, and DH, because those are really the spots we're talking about. First base not changing. Third base ain't changing. Carlson's going to be playing every day in center field right Catcher's now. Catcher's not changing. Yeah, so it's your your middle infield, your two corner outfield spots, and DH. Against those are the lefties? F- those are the five spots right now that are potentially up for grabs. Because for me, playing Edmund at second base, uh, or excuse me, I'm playing Donovan at second base. Edmund I'm playing at Edmund at short. I'm playing Yepes in right field. I'm playing Yepes in one of the two outfield spots. I, I don't I'm really playing, care. I'd probably put him in left, and then I'm putting one of those other two in right. I don't I care I'm who playing, you go with. I think I'd play Dickerson over Newpar right and now. And I'm going with Pujols as my DH. That yeah. would be my construction, and I'm just one of Dickerson or Newt will be in my lineup along with those other guys. What would you do, Tanner? So I would probably – so let's. So you're going with Donovan second, mm-hmm. Edmund short, and who would you say is in left? Yepes? Probably Yepes because I would rather have him in left than right. And then you got Newpar in right, I'm assuming? One of Newt or Dickerson. I don't care which one they go with. I think you could split the time, honestly. I, I would probably go with that. I would. I just don't think you can have both Yepes and Dickerson in the outfield at the same time. Like, if if you're going to go Yepes and left, and I agree with that scenario, then, yeah, I would go Newpar in right field. I, I just can't have both – uh, Dickerson and Yepes in the lineup. I just think it's too bad defensively in terms of that outfield to where you can't really. It's such a negative, in my opinion, that you just can't do it. So I, I would stick with that. Yeah, I'd go Yepes in the left, and I would probably go with uh, Newt Bar in right field. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get to some questions and answers. 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show. But coming up next, Jalen Hurts proved a little something last night. What if he's a legitimate franchise-caliber quarterback? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Second down and eight. 
for the Eagles at their own 47. Good protection again, launch downfield. Watkins wide open, touchdown. That audio courtesy of ESPN last night as the Eagles just dominate against the Minnesota Vikings. It doesn't necessarily look that way when you see the final score 24 to 7. But Alex, that game was over at halftime. And Jalen Hurts is a big reason as to why. He finished the game last night with 330 yards through the air, added another 57 on the ground. So far this season, if you just look at his stats, he's up to almost 600 yards passing through for one touchdown. And then on the ground, he's added another 150 with three touchdowns on the ground. One of my big questions coming into the year was, is Jalen Hurts legit? Because last year, if you play fantasy football, he was awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. But if you watched the games, most of his statistics were coming late in the games. It reminded me a little bit of a few years ago. This was when we, he was still with the Jaguars. Blake Bortles was like this great fantasy football quarterback because he would just throw for garbage time touchdowns all day long. But the first three quarters, he stunk. And that's kind of what Jalen Hurts reminded me of last year. This looks like a different dude. He looks legitimately good. I don't know what to make of it. Alex, what changes, though, if we go down this hypothetical road together? If Jalen Hurts is a legit franchise quarterback, he's a top 10 to 12 type of a guy. What does that mean for the Eagles? What does that mean for the NFC this year? I think the Eagles are the best team in the NFC if he is this. I mean, what was more impressive about that game last night was how well the Philadelphia Eagles defense played. But you put that on top of the weapons that that Jalen Hurts has with A.J. Brown and and Devontae Smith, and you got the guy who's a legit rushing weapon. He looks like a legit quarterback right now. So for me, if this is truly the Eagles, and this was going to be a test for both teams, because either the team that came out on top in this game, I was going to view as one of the dominant ones in the NFC because the Rams, the Rams are still, of course, the team to beat, but they have looked iffy this season. Tampa Bay is still undefeated, but they've looked iffy. The team that came out of this game, that's two straight games that you look at and you say, Damn. So Minnesota losing and now Philadelphia coming out on top and Jalen Hurts being a big reason why I'm starting to look at Philadelphia as a a full as a more complete team than I expected them to be at the beginning of the season. They remind me of the 2013 49ers when Colin Kaepernick took over as the starting quarterback and he was better than people expected. He wasn't great, but he was pretty darn good, added a ton of value with what he was able to do on the ground for them. They had Frank Gore as their starting running back that year, and he was really solid for them, as Frank Gore always is really solid. Nothing more, nothing less. Frank Gore. Well, found a way to bring it in. And Quan Bolden was their physical producing wide receiver the way that what we've seen from A.J. Brown so far. And then their defense was just awesome that season. It kind of reminds me of that team. And you remember how that ended. They ended up going to the Super Bowl that year. I, I or excuse me, a conference championship game that year lost to the Seahawks. This kind of feels like that. Mm-hmm. I think this That's team has, has the ability to go like a 13 and four, 12 and five type of season. I mean, they're that talented if Jalen Hurts is legit. And there's not a Seahawks team that's going to stand in their way. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you look at the end of I mean, we just, you just one. said it. They're. It's pretty open. And I agree that the Rams are kind of the team that are going to be the ones that are looked at as the team to go through. They definitely have weaknesses. They're dealing with a ton of injuries on their offensive line. You look at uh, Tampa Bay, who's the other team that would be viewed as that same uh, in that same kind of tier, and they don't look like the same Tampa Bay that oh, we're used to. Tom Brady Cole doesn't Beasley. look the same. So, yeah, I I think that Philadelphia's a team. I think last night was the statement that, hey, we're now the favorites in the NFC East while yep. Dak is out. And I think that they have the chance to potentially – 
run away with it depending on how long Dak is out because I don't think Cooper Rush is going to keep Dallas in a lot of games. Like, Have I know that they beat down Cincinnati. Coming up? Yeah. Dallas? No, the no, Eagles. Eagles. Oh, they, who they got next week? I did Washington. see Washington. Here it is. Right. Yeah, Washington, Washington, Jacksonville, Arizona, Dallas with no Dak, Pittsburgh with Mitch Trubisky potentially. Houston and then Washington again, and that's they what, could legitimately start nine and zero. I was going to say they will be the last team that's undefeated out of all of these. They teams. should be. Them They'll or be Buffalo, favored in one every of one those of those two. teams. Yeah, they will be. So I, I agree with you. I think they're the team that you look at, and well, they I, they got a shot to win the NFC. And I think part of the reason, if they're going to be like that 49ers team you're talking about, there's nobody that's up there with them that you can say they have a team that can really shut them down. Like the Rams got a decent defense, but the offense has. I mean, they put up 30-some points against Atlanta, but they tried to blow that game as best as possible, and Stafford <laughs> throws the ball to the other team a lot. So, Is the reason that we're, we're reacting this way to Hurts, is it because of Hurts' talent, or is it because the Eagles did exactly what they were supposed to do and go out there and get another legit weapon for him? Because as much as Hurts looked great in that game, a lot of that is because they now have A.J. Brown, and Absolutely. they don't know how to defend this Philadelphia Eagles team. You can't. Like They've got too many weapons. They feel like Miami's offense. Kind of. They're different because, like, A.J. Brown is so powerful, and Devontae Smith is a technician. And Hurts a- brings something to the running game. Hurts is a, really. he's a physical runner. Like, yeah. that's the thing that's – he's not the same as watching a Lamar or a Michael – like, yeah, he's this running dude, into it. it. He looks different because he's not the same guy, but – it's kind of Cam Newton-esque with yeah. the way that he runs. They're running like quarterback power stuff. You, you don't see teams doing that. And they have a revolving door of running backs, too, where it's not mm-hmm. this one primary guy because they have multiple guys who can either line up as a receiver or line up in the backfield as a running back, and then you've got Jalen Hurts. Teams don't know. I thought Minnesota's defense looked the best out of all of the defenses after week one, and I understand it was one week, but you just did that to that defense, which, uh, again, it, it – it proved to me that they're more of a complete team than I thought Philadelphia was. I think the thing we always forget about in these conversations, not necessarily us in this room, but in general, like NFL viewers, so much of what we're talking about right now is based on the offensive line. And the Eagles might have the best offensive line in the NFL. Like that That's a big part of this as well, is their, their success is not only bringing in A.J. Brown, but also making sure that they maintain the solidarity of that unit up front. They brought back Jason Kelsey. He's, he's up there in age at this point in time, but... Man, the guy's just a superstar center. He's awesome, and he allows them to do so much in terms of not only their pass pro, but also in their running game. They can do unique things because they can they can pull their center outside if they need to. So uh, they're a team that is absolutely worth monitoring the rest of the year because I, I agree with you guys. I think they're the favorite right now in the NFC. And don't they have two first-round picks? Mm-hmm. Yep. Is this going to be the new dominant team in the NFC? No, because I always feel like we do this where like there's a team that comes on, they're surprising, they're really good, and then they end up having a couple of future assets. We're like, oh, that's the team, and then this thing is so cyclical. But what if they, unless you, unless Jalen Hurts is like a Josh Allen, well, that's what I was going to ask. But I don't think he's that. What if Philadelphia becomes the Buffalo? Not so much of Hurts being Josh Allen, but because you have the duo now that Allen and Diggs have created, you've got that with Hertz and Brown. You have to have the Josh Allen to make that work. Like the the only way you can sustain long term being a dominant team in the NFL, there's only one way it's ever been done is and that is having a one of one quarterback. Yeah. It, you look at the Patriots. Why was that 
as dominant as they were for two decades, basically, because they had Tom Brady. Why was Peyton Manning's team always at or near the top of the league? Because Peyton Manning was on that team. Like, whether it was the Broncos or the Colts, he was the common denominator. You look around the NFL right now, who are the teams that 10 years from now you would bet on to be the best of the best? I would bet on the Bills and the Chiefs right now because they're the two teams that have the quarterback that I think is going to sustain over the long haul. So can the Eagles be really good for the next few years? Sure. When Jalen Hurts gets paid and they have to take away some of these elements that we're talking yeah, about course. right now, does that change things? Yeah, because I I do think even if we're talking about him as a franchise caliber quarterback, it's in that like eight to 12 range as opposed to the one to three range. And that's where the dominant teams are that you're, you're talking about, oh, in I my know, opinion. Is I picked the right team to root for my boy Jordan Davis on the future Super Bowl champs. Write that down, T-Bone. You did pick a good team to start rooting for. And a good right, time to start rooting I'm for it go as well. Buy a jersey. I wish you would have. Who was the team that we thought he was going to get drafted by? Like the Giants or something no, like that? No, I thought it was going to be the Chargers. I was hoping it was the Chargers, which would have been great also. But I wish you would have like this one better. Coming up in 15 minutes, if ever there was a time for this Cardinals offense to get going, it is right now. And we'll tell you how they can do it coming up at 12 o'clock. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. service tax line for questions and answers. Let's start out with this big news for the Missouri Tigers. Eli Drinkwitz has released this week's depth chart. They're making a change, boys. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah? We getting a new quarterback? Nope. Luther Burden getting I all thought, of the punt returns? Nope. I thought we were addressing the O-line. Yeah, yeah, the O-line. We need all five new starters. So that that's part of the changes, but the big one, they're making the switch at punter. Oh. Uh, everybody's been waiting Drink. with bated breath. Look out, Auburn. Drink should learn from Bielma. Bielma went on a recruiting trip, and his first stop was to go get a punter. Plus, that's right. plus seven and a half. Oh, easy cover for Mizzou. Jack Stonehouse, your Ooh. new starting punter for the Missouri Tigers this week. They found him off the They street. are also, uh, they're going to flip Connor Wood and Mitchell Walters at right guard. Mitchell Walters, by the way, you may be asking yourself, who is that? I, I don't think I know much about him. Well, there's, there's a reason as to why. It's because he's one of the best five offensive linemen available. He has all of uh, 15 snaps so far on the season. So it's a good thing that we're making that switch now against Auburn. As opposed to maybe seeing what he could do, you know, against like the FCS opponents that were on their schedule. Of those 15 snaps, how many of them were were when the game was pretty much already done for? All of them. Good. Every single one of them. He had had seven snaps against Louisiana Tech and eight snaps against Abilene Christian all late in the game as it was completely out of hand. So you didn't play in the competitive game. Just the two that you you, you won. I just. Good. Good, good, good. How? How are we this bad? Drink, drink's good at this. Hey, I'm going to throw this out there right now. If Mizzou game's on our pickums this Friday, it will I'm, I'm going to take Auburn uh, minus seven and a half. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, the punting change really sold it for me. That's why I'm going <laughs> Auburn, too. Me, too, buddy. Me, too. <laughs> that's why. Watch out. Uh, all right. From the 618, why do you guys think that the teams that we expected to win the AFC South, the Titans and the Colts, have struggled so much early on this season? Well, because the Titans were the dumbest team in the NFL this offseason and <laughs> trading their best wide receiver away. I just don't understand. Colts. Man. Honestly, I have no idea with the Colts because they're just doing everything wrong. They're like they're playing the game they're on. They only had nine carries for Jonathan Taylor this past week. 
Matt Ryan does not look like he can play anymore. And the defense looks like they don't know what they're doing out there, which again, blows my mind because I thought Indy was going to be one of the best teams in that division. So I was listening to a podcast yesterday. Uh, Nate Tice, who's the, the son of former Daniel NFL Tice. head coach, no, Mike Tice, uh, the Vikings son. coach, his son. Uh, he was going through and what's gone wrong for the Colts specifically. He said the offensive line has been playing horribly so far this year. The wide receiver issues were a big problem this week for them. And their biggest issue right now is actually defensively. They're playing G- Gus Bradley's scheme. He's from the Seahawks previously. Oh, that went well. Went to the Raiders. He exclusively plays the cover three, which is a single high safety look, which everybody else in the NFL is going away from. Most teams are now playing the two high safeties to keep everything underneath, right? You want to keep everything in front of you. You force mistakes, make them go on longer, sustained drives. It's harder for the offense to sustain those. Not the Colts. Colts are saying, no, 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 no. We're going single high safety. And if you beat us, so be it. And teams are beating them with it. They play the Chiefs this week. Guys, the only thing you cannot do right now, well, there's a lot of things, but the thing you should not do against Patrick Mahomes or uh, the Bills, for example, do not play single high safety because they're going to crush you. Patrick Mahomes has to be so excited because that's that's the defense they're facing. Maybe this, this week. is what Gus Bradley was planning on. Like once the he knew week three was where we're going to break through. Where everyone's thinking cover three. Well, you remember the Chiefs boom. against the Raiders the last few years. That's when Mahomes has had his good games. Everybody else plays them that same style: too deep, too deep, too deep. Not the Raiders with Gus Bradley as their defense coordinator. It was always the single high safety. So that's what's that, going wrong for them. I think that Raiders Chiefs game was the one that I hit an eight game parlay on. Thanks to yeah, uh, there you go. Gus Bradley's defense. I think the Titans are just they played above their heads last year. They got rid of their best player. And this is the result. Yeah, yeah their I agree. defense isn't good enough. I was going to say, I agree with that. Their defense isn't good enough. They lost uh, who they lose the right at the beginning of the year. Tours ACL drawn a blank defensive end or linebacker. Is it Dupree? Yeah, oh, but Dupree, no, no. Um, um, what's his face? Landry. Landry. That's who that's it was. Right. And they lost him at the beginning of the year. And like Tannehill's just not a quarterback that can like make up for the lack of differences that you have. I mean, you saw last night he Malik got Willis was Malik in the game. Willis. Now, part of that, I think, was just because that game got so out of hand. They wanted to see what Willis looked like. But Tannehill was not very good. And then on the Colts side of things, like I, I think Frank Reich is kind of going through that phase where it's like, oh, I got this new shiny toy and. Matt Ryan, he gets away from what his true game plan is because you mentioned it, the nine carries for Taylor. Now, look, they had to abandon that last week because they fell so far behind. But I think that's part of it, too, where Frank Reich is kind of losing his way because he's got a new shiny toy. And that's what McVay was last year, too. When McVay got Stafford, he didn't even want to run the ball. Like, there were games I forgot they had running backs on the depth chart. So I think that's part of the issue. And and the Colts missing Pittman last week was a big issue. And same with Leonard being out. He's the captain of that defense. I think those were two big pieces missing as well. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 618. Do you guys expect the show to continue for at least another six months? Are you Uh, kidding me? Yes. I hope so. Look, I got two kids at home. I need this thing to last for a couple of years. I would be uh, very disappointed. I'm not even 30 years old yet. I've got two more months before I turn 30. I would like to make it to my 31st birthday on the air. I'm not even 25. (laughs) would be my goal. So (laughs) Tanner's going to have to go back to school. Yeah. Fingers crossed. From the 314. Why would you bring that bad juju in here, man? Come on. I was just... Just checking. You don't have to read everything you see on the text line. You don't have to read everything, man. Uh, From the 314. Hey, guys, if you knew then what you know now, what would be the futures bet that you would have placed if you could go back in time right now and place a futures bet on the NFL? So if you could go back to prior to week one of the NFL season and you get those odds, but you know then what you know now, what would be the bet that you would place? Colts having the first overall pick. <laughs> first coach fire. Imagine, imagine what the odds on that would be. Uh, I would pick the Eagles to win the NFC. Yeah, I was gonna that s- would be the first bet that I would place. Yeah. That 
And honestly, I'd probably put a bet that the Vikings win the NFC North. I, I would take the under on the Colts win total. Yeah, I would too, because I said to take the over on that. Yeah, so I that would definitely that. would have changed for me. Uh, I Now that I know it, I probably would have taken the under on the Bengals on their win total. And potentially yeah. even if Somebody I don't try to tell you that all. I, yeah, yeah, whatever. I, I thought the BKO was going <laughs> to impact that. I don't know if you could bet on them missing the playoffs. I would have considered that. Same with Vegas. I think I would have taken their under and their win total, too. Maybe Denver, too, if I'm being honest yeah, with you. I'm Denver. not sure they'll reach their – I don't know what their over-under was at. I'm sure it was like it was 9 like or 10, 10 yeah. something like that. I think they're like an 8 or 9 win team, potentially. But I agree with you. I think Minnesota – I would I would potentially lay a bet on Minnesota still to win the NFC North. Oh, I would I would bet the Minnesota – even after that last night, Minnesota winning the NFC North is – Sold in also, my opinion. I would not have put together my opening night parlay I did on the Rams game. <laughs> oh yeah, what, what went wrong, buddy? Everything, everything. Yeah. yeah. Allen Robinson didn't get a ball thrown. I, to I him. don't think he caught Cam a ball. Akers didn't do anything. Yeah, he didn't show up. Yeah. I was right on his under though. I, was I also right on think that I one. would have taken Jalen Hurts to an MVP. I don't remember what his odds were, oh, but I they were definitely. I still don't think it's going to happen. I, I don't either, but I think he was like forty to one. Yeah. So compared to those odds, do you think he's top three by the end of the season? Because Probably. I think Mahomes and Allen will be there. Yeah, I don't know if he will be or won't be, but I think the odds were so good that yeah. no, like, I'm it was with worth you. taking because he's probably going to rush for 1,000 yards and throw for 4,000 this year. He, I think he's that top, might be enough I, to get consideration. I think he'll be top five. The problem is the other four ahead of him are all going to be in the AFC. Another one with the Eagles, and I, I think I brought this up in our group text yesterday. I think you could probably gotten good odds on Nick Sirianni to win coach of the year. He's going to be up in that yeah. conversation. Jordan I, Davis, defensive rookie of the year. Okay. I don't think that was going to Coming occur. up in 15 oh, minutes. How much does the Marco Scandella injury impact the Blues' ability to re-sign Ryan O'Reilly? Maybe less than you think. We'll get to that coming up at 12:15. But next, if there was ever a time for the Cardinals offense to get going, it is right now. We'll tell you what they have going for them in this upcoming series next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN, and it's finally arrived, guys. Thank God, too. The Cardinals are actually going to play some compelling baseball games. Hockey. Now that's we still got a couple of days. Chill out. The Cardinals, though, they're back in action tonight. They are out on the West Coast for the swing (laughs) through San Diego and Los Angeles. Yeah, it's late night baseball, but I won't be up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we know you're going to be watching this on TiVo tomorrow morning. TiVo? It's not the 90s anymore, man. Do you remember TiVo? Yeah, we used to have a TiVo at my house. I used to record games. Bloop, bloop. Tonight, it is Mike Clevenger on the mound. That's going to be a tough assignment for the Cardinals. I'm not going to lie to you. What? Clevenger's good. He's a righty. Debatable. He's okay. Debatable. That's fair. That's a better way to put it. (laughs) Clevenger is solid. DK gets real excited over here about Mike Clevenger. But the next four games is what's really interesting to me. Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove, Andrew Heaney, five games. Kershaw and Tyler Anderson. Four of the next five after tonight are left-handed pitchers that are going to be on the mound. This is quality opponents on the road, big-time environments. You're going up against playoff types of opponents and... Of your next six games, four of them are coming against left-handed pitching. Guys, this is where the Cardinals have to be able to take advantage of their opponent. We've talked about how this offense has been hit and miss over the last month or so. It's time. It's time for them to get going. Goldie, you've been struggling. You can have a couple of bad weeks. You've had four good months of the season. This is when he should shine. He's going up against left-handed pitchers. This is where he's just dominated. He's been the best hitter against lefties all season long. 
Alex, this is the time where this offense should be able to come through for the Cardinals. This is your confidence booster. This is the, okay, we got to get out of this rut, guys, streak. Because you're hitting against pitchers who have pitched okay, other than BK who loves Mike Clevenger, but it's also the lefties. This is the, okay, Goldschmidt, get back to your MVP level. Okay, Arenado, do the same. Okay, let's get Juan Yepes going. Let's get Albert Pujols back in the right spot. This is the opportunity for all of your offensive weapons to sit there and say, okay, now we feel like a World Series caliber team because as much as we all believe in this team and it's hard to read what this team is after that stretch of games against really tough opponents, tough meaning bad opponents, you still needed to see a little bit more compete in those guys. And you wondered if it was fatigue or whatever it was. Now is your time to go out there and not only beat up on these guys to get your offense going, but say that you took down a lot of really good pitchers in Blake Snell and in Musgrove and Clayton Kershaw, like you did against Corbin Burns when you played him uh, in Bush stadium. Yeah. This couldn't line up better in my opinion, in terms of it going into a series against really quality opponents that you're going to see in the playoffs more likely than not. I mean, there's a chance you see, San Diego in the first round. There's a chance you're playing them in the wild card round if you don't get up to that uh, two seed, which I'm not sure the Cardinals will at this point. But this is that time where it is where you have to turn that switch back on. Because I do think part of it, we talked about it yesterday, I do think part of it, the recent struggles, was to just lull in the schedule, playing teams like Cincinnati, Pittsburgh. And really it started in that first series in Cincinnati where it was like, there's like 500 people here. Do We, we don't yep. want to watch the games. I'm sure they don't want to play the game against them. They probably just want to leave Cincinnati as soon as possible. And now it's that time where it's, okay, you're going into these awesome atmospheres. San Diego's a great place to play at. LA's a great place to play at. Milwaukee will be rocking as they're trying to get into the playoff picture. So it's time for them to flip the switch. And with it coming against left-handed pitchers, there's really no excuse for the offense not to get back to the level that you're expecting because they're one of the best offenses against left-handed pitching. They're the best. If if this was against right-handed pitchers, I could understand, okay, maybe you still have some guys that have trouble because against righties, this team isn't as good as they are against lefties. But with four of the next five coming against left-handed pitching, there's no reason that you can't... I don't want to say leave this being five and three, but if you at least leave this and you say the offense at least kind of turned the corner and I can kind of see, I can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, then yeah, then I'll feel really good about it. And honestly, that should occur on this road trip. I do think you need to end this road trip with a winning record though, to get me like fully on board. I think you need to end this with a winning record because it's going to be hard for me to like, if you end it at 500 and sit there and be like, okay, this team can go on a run because other teams aren't going to be doing that. Other teams are going to have success against these top caliber opponents. Yeah. I mean, you you look at this and I want to see like in these eight games, San Diego, LA, Milwaukee, go five and three. Yeah. I'm not asking for anything crazy. Like you don't have to go seven and one, eight, no in this stretch. Go, great, go five and three. If you can do that, it shows me that you're ready to go for the playoffs. And I, like, obviously we'll dive into how it happens. It's not just the record, but right. the, in the end, you need to go five and three, four and four. I could even get behind four and four where you're competitive. The competitive. offense looks good. You've seen progress. There's reasons to believe that, okay, this team's ready to go for the playoffs. A couple of things don't go their way. You end the, this trip uh, with a 500 record. I could get behind that. That's fine. But I I, I want to see certain things. Like I want to see Wayno and Michaelis get back on track. I want to see Goldie and Arenado start to hit again. I want to see somebody from the outfield emerge. Hopefully in this stretch, this is where Dylan Carlson should get back on track, guys. You got a lefty pitcher on the mound more often than not. You're going to have some relievers that are coming in that are left-handed as well. The closer out in San Diego is a lefty. I understand that he's dominated the Cardinals in the past, but is not the same Josh Hader. (laughs) You, You should be able to do some damage in these series this is where Dylan Carlson needs to get back to what we expected him to be. 
all of the splits are in favor for the Cardinals. You look at them even over the last month where we've seen this offense fall off a little bit. On the road, they have an 840 OPS in this stretch. At home, it's a 705 OPS. I wonder how much of their offensive struggles are more related to Bush Stadium and the weather kind of cooling off as opposed to anything else. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Against left-handed pitchers over the last month, 900 OPS. Against right-handed pitchers, 740 OPS. I mean, we're talking about a split of about 150 points for on the road versus at home, and then righties versus lefties. You're seeing lefties. You're seeing them on the road more often than not. This is it. This is when this team should be able to come through. And by the way, speaking of the road, that's one thing that the Cardinals have struggled with this year. I don't know why. Can't my finger put my finger on exactly why this is, but the Cardinals are 36 and 34 on the road this season. It's good enough. You can make that work. If you go 500 on the road in the playoffs, you'll be a okay. But the other contending teams on the road this year have been much better than you. The Mets are 44 and 29 on the road. The Braves are 41 and 30. The Dodgers are 52 and 26 Jeez. on the road this season. It's the That's one spot. Ridiculous. It's the one spot where you really fall short compared to all of these other teams. You've got home field advantage. I get it. Bush Stadium's tough to hit in. Your team is playing to that ballpark. But you got to be a little better on the road, and this is a good place to show it. Yeah, th- this is, I mean, you're not going to go far in the playoffs if you can't perform on the road. That's that's the bottom line. And they really have not done that all season long. So to be able to sit there and say, like, hey, we just went into San Diego and took two of three. And we, you know, went one and three against the Dodgers, but we won both games against Milwaukee. To come back after that road trip and say that your offense performed really well and you got that winning record on the road, you got to be feeling much better. about. like, to me, this is all about confidence right now on this road trip. You've got to be coming off of this road trip and getting set to play six games against Pittsburgh going into the playoffs, feeling like a team that can't be stopped. And if you come back and feel like, oh, yeah, we performed okay. I think that's not a good position to be in headed into the the postseason. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll talk this over with Katie Wu, who's in San Diego right now out of the Cardinals versus the Padres series. Katie coming up at 1230. But next, Marco Scandella officially going to be out for the next six months. What does that mean for the blue line for the Blues? And does that impact the Ryan O'Reilly situation at all? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Taylor Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So the Marco Scandella news caught us all a little off guard this morning. The Blues announced that he's going to be out for at least the next six months. He had hip surgery recently. Apparently, this is a relatively new injury. It took place while he was skating in August, preparing for the upcoming season. So Marco Scandella out is $3.275 million likely to go on LTIR. That opens some things up for the Blues. It also opens up a roster spot for the Blues, Alex, likely going to Scott Perunovich in our mind. How does this change, if at all, your expectations for the blue line? Or do you did you think that Marco Scandella was going to be a, a guy that more often than not was healthy scratch anyway? I, I think he was going to be a healthy scratch no matter what. But it does create a little more intrigue in terms of how they're going to go about their top six and what they're going to utilize. Because to me, you know what your top four is going to look like. It's Letty with Pareko. It's Falk with Krug. And then from there, to me, I think you have to have Robert Bortuzzo in because he's such a good penalty killer. He's kind of an energy plug for the TR spark plug for the team. You want him on the ice. And then honestly, it comes down to, okay, how do you want to go about these games? Do you want offense on your defensive side and 
puck zone exits cleanly? Or do you want a little more physicality? And honestly, it could be game by game basis for this team that says like, hey, we need Nico Mikola in there because he's going to be the aggressor or we need Scott Perunovic in there. I would lean more towards Scott Perunovic because I do believe they really want to find out what he is for this team. But in all reality, I'm actually fine with this. It sucks to lose Marco Scandella because it benefited this team to have eight defensemen that you trusted. But to me, Marco Scandella was a third pairing guy. And I want to know what my, I want to know what Nico Mikola is because to me at times he projected to be a top four defenseman. I thought he looked that, that good. Scott Perunovic is supposed to be a top four defenseman. I think a lot can be decided on the future of this team from those two players defensively, because you're talking about guys who make less than six and a half million dollars that could be top four defensemen for you. Yeah, I I don't think this changes a whole lot for me, honestly. I thought that they were going to go with one of Scandella or Mikola on most nights, and I don't think there's a huge difference between the two. Like, they play differently. Stylistically, they're different. But when you actually get into the quality of players, like if you looked at the NHL video game, their overall ratings are probably pretty damn similar. Yeah, uh, they just they do it a little bit differently. So to your point, I, I think you probably would have seen them in different games against different opponents, but the end result more or less is the same. So I don't think it changes a whole lot. You'd like to have that depth available to you with a proven veteran player. But I, I also wanted to see what Scott Perunovic could provide to them this year. So I don't think it really changes a whole lot for me in terms of the expectations for the blue line. It might, however, change expectations for some people, Alex, on what this means for Ryan O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. His contract is up at the end of the year. We've been talking all offseason about this. What is, what is his future hold here in St. Louis? I don't know if this changes anything for him, honestly. I, I don't know what this means for Scandella's future in St. Louis. He's still got one more year left on this contract next season as well at $3.275 million. If he ends up, A, getting bought out or B, just staying on LTIR, kind of similar to the way that Alex Steen did and playing out the string here in St. Louis, because we don't know. Hip issues are never easy to come back from. Yeah, hockey players use those a lot, T-Bone. don't know if you knew that. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. <laughs> and if he's not able to come back from this, like it, it's possible he's just on LTIR the rest of the deal. I, I hope not, but it might be. Maybe then that changes things for him. But I, I think the Ryan O'Reilly deal is almost separate from any of this other conversations that we're having about the Blues. I think this is a decision that Doug Armstrong has to make of, do we want to resign Ryan O'Reilly? I think it's almost in a vacuum. I They're going to use money as an excuse. I, I'm not sure it's exclusively about money. I think it's about, do we want to have a guy that's going to be 32 plus years old on a four plus year contract? If the answer to that is yes, they'll bring back Ryan O'Reilly because they'll figure out a way to make the money work. If the answer is no, then they're not going to bring back Ryan O'Reilly just as they didn't with uh, Petrangelo, just as they didn't with um, David Perron this offseason. They could have made this money work with Perron if they wanted to. They decided they don't want to bring him back. That's fine. I disagreed with it, but it's fine. I think the same thing is going to be true for Ryan O'Reilly. They're going to have to make that choice. Yeah, and I mean, the answer to that has to be yes. And I know people will question it and say, well, he's older, he's not that quick, blah, blah, whatever. I mean, to me, Ryan O'Reilly, the answer has to be yes with him moving forward because I just think he's an impactful piece to this team. If you don't believe me, go to a practice and watch because the players are out on the ice with Ryan O'Reilly. It's not like Ryan O'Reilly is just a guy that shows up. And according to Cap Friendly, like next season, you got $15.9 million available to you. That's a little 
just for what it's worth. Oh, here comes BK math. It, it, no, but it, it's really misleading because they don't have the roster filled out. Like that's with yeah, it's like 13, 10 guys signed. It's 13 yeah. players assigned to it. You, you've got like $7 million in cap space next year. Something closer to that. And that's with veteran minimum deals. I'm just telling. Like, yeah, he went to cap school. BK cool. math. No, it's just it, it's super misleading when it says that you've got that amount of cap space. When yeah, if the Blues played with 13 guys on the roster next year, sure, but they don't. Yeah, well, and I mean they're gonna you know you're gonna have to adjust certain areas. Guys are gonna be making the base minimum, but in all reality, yeah, it's gonna be tight. If the money for Marco Scandella opens up, then it absolutely helps there. But then you also have to ask the question: Is this the best option for us? And to me, it is. But look at the market and see what's out there because there are other guys that will be available to you and you're not just replacing Ryan O'Reilly in the circumstance. You're also going to have to replace the potential 35 to 40 goals that Vladimir Tarasenko was scoring there and that's not going to be very cheap for you. So this is going to be a very intriguing offseason, but... Like it or not, $3.275 million for a salary cap that's only going to go up maybe by a million or two, that's a lot of money for a general manager to make work. And if Ryan O'Reilly wants to be here and is willing to play for $5 million for the next four years, then that 3.275 helps the Blues not only re-signing him, but also helps them looking elsewhere to help the team improve. But it really, I just don't think it's about money. Like I, I know that's what they're saying. I, I don't. I think it's about the term. I think it's. I, I don't think, think next year changes anything. I think the Blues, if they wanted to bring back Ryan O'Reilly next year for five million dollars, they absolutely could and probably unless would. Unless O'Reilly wants to play for it, because that I think it comes down to money for O'Reilly. Right. But what I'm saying is, I, I don't think it's about the 2023 season. I think it's about the 2026 season. I think, well, it's always about term with Doug Armstrong. Yeah, and, and so if. Does the 3.2 help next year? Absolutely it does. I'm not disagreeing with that whatsoever. They could go out there and sign somebody on a one-year deal worth four or five million bucks. He could help them next season. But Ryan O'Reilly's not playing on a one-year deal. Ryan O'Reilly's going to play on a four-plus-year term probably. And that's where it gets difficult. And I honestly don't think that the Scandella thing changes that at all. I think the conversation with Ryan O'Reilly is the exact same today as it was yesterday. And it's about the term. And it's about whether or not Doug Armstrong is comfortable with that. I am. You are, Alex. Tanner, you are. I think most Blues fans are com- comfortable with giving O'Reilly the deal that he is likely to command and deserves, by the way. I don't know if Doug Armstrong is. Yeah. Because he's proven time and time again he's more than willing to move on from guys that we all think this is a bad move. And then a lot of the time he ends up finding some sort of a replacement that even if they're not as good as the last player... They end up being pretty darn good. Look at what he did with Pavel Buchnevich. Maybe internally, when they made that deal last year, they knew Pavel Buchnevich was the replacement long-term for David Perron. Could be. Before they decided to move on from a Alex Petrangelo, they made that move for Justin Falk, so they had the internal replacement. What if Robert Thomas is the guy that they view internally as being the replacement for Ryan O'Reilly? I don't, but maybe they do. Maybe that's why they gave him this eight-year, $8 million contract. Vladimir Tarasenko, the internal replacement for him long-term, is Jordan Kairou. What do you do to replace what they were giving you previously, Kairou and Thomas? Maybe they go back out to the market to find that guy. I hope that's not the case, but I don't think anything that happened over the last two hours with uh, Marco Scandella changes how I view the O'Reilly thing. Because you're not going to be able to lock in. I mean, it has no no impact three years from now. The average age next season without O'Reilly is already at 38 or 30 years old. 
you sign O'Reilly, you're probably looking at the average age of 31, 32. And some teams, that doesn't matter. But if you're Doug Armstrong looking at the next core, you're going to be focusing a lot more on the younger side than the older side. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. Danny Mack's going to join us in the 1 o'clock hour. But coming up next, Katie Wu joins us live from San Diego to help us preview what is maybe the most significant road trip for the Blues of the season. We'll talk to her about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. I got some very upsetting news during the break. Tanner was on the phone with our Beloved guest, Katie Wu. You can mm. find her work over at The Athletic. You can follow her on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. She joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And Katie said that she voted in our poll, Alex. Oh, yeah? Of which punishment I should serve this week for the Football Pick'em Challenge. Well, the, good for you, her. She you guys, vote. by the way, the listeners, still have an hour to vote on Twitter at 101 ESPN or on the app as well. Get the on three this. options are standing on the corner of Olive and 270 for an hour in a costume with a sign that says I suck at picks. Option two. Push football slide the full length of the football field as Kerry Davis yells at me. Or option three, I get shot with a paintball gun. By the way, if it matters to anybody, I think T-Bone and I decided he's going to be in a ballerina costume. <laughs> okay, awesome. Katie, which of those did you vote for? Um, I went without any ounce of hesitation for the paintball gun. <laughs> yeah. And why is that, Katie? <laughs> is it because you're sick of the BKOs and you, he deserves punishment? I just... I thought it was a really clever idea, and I personally would just would love to witness it. <laughs> now, Katie, I have a follow-up question, but it doesn't apply to BK. Did you vote for the week one punishment oh. for Tanner? Ooh. Did you vote for him to run a beer mile? Yeah, I did. I was like, there was something. That's why I voted for paintball gun, because it was different. But I liked the beer mile. I, I would have done it with you, Tanner, because, you know, solidarity. But I'm not getting shot with you with paintball gun, BK. No, Sorry. That's okay, so I, what I, I have it. learned today is Katie Wu, she likes pain for all of us. By the way, we, yeah. haven't mentioned, we have not mentioned this on air yet, but the BKO has been lifted from the Cardinals. Did you hear about this, this Alex? Is, this is some of his best work, you guys. You're going to be shocked. I, so I did hear about this. I'm not going to reveal who the, the member of the organization is. However, one Jonathan of the members of the organization uh, yeah, <laughs> was listening to our show last week as we mentioned the fact that I had forgotten the microphone cover in Ollie Marmel's office. That member of the organization DM'd me on Twitter and said, I knew that this was you, basically, and we need to get rid of this. Can we please get it back to you so our organization is no longer cursed they have since given it to brad thompson it is no longer at bush stadium so katie we saved the cardinal season last friday night or like i told you bk you put them in kind of like a jinx and i don't really believe in jinxes but that bko like energy that's real and i think that's what started their skit a little bit but they bounced back you know Maybe it's gone. Maybe it's left. Katie, believe in jinxes because the man standing to my left is full of them. His entire life, apparently, it's been jinxes. That's not going well. However, the Cardinals, (laughs) it's going to go well for them as they're in San Diego, and that's where you're at. We are very jealous of you. Yeah, the Cardinals are there right now, not the Blues. Misspoke before the break. That's on me. Rights were the lightest. Katie, what are you looking forward to in this road trip? San Diego, L.A., you've got some really good teams. Lefties on the mound more often than not in this six-game stretch. What are you looking forward to in the in these six games? 
Well, minus the Mexican food and margaritas that I absolutely crushed <laughs> yesterday. If we're going to talk about a, a baseball perspective, I'm really excited to see how the Cardinals shake up against their final big test before the postseason. Padres have been a little bit inconsistent in the second half, but they have played some really good baseball over the weekend against Arizona. The Dodgers, of course, we don't need to discuss how good they've been. First team to clinch in baseball this year. And, you know, if the Cardinals could potentially have a chance to clinch the division in Milwaukee if they can't take care of business against these two SoCal teams. I'm really interested to see how the Cardinals are shaping up. I know their offense was lagging against the Reds. I'm sure we'll get to that. I personally was not too overly concerned about it. But I would be if, you know, throughout this three-game series in San Diego, the bats don't come to life a little bit more. So I guess my overall is kind of broad, but there's so many different storylines we can talk about. But if I'm looking straight up at the Cardinals and how they are looking for October, I like to see how they look against San Diego and LA this week. Well, Katie, let's stick to the offense because we've talked about this a lot and we're all on the same page where it's like we're just not concerned because of the opponent that they have been playing. But to you, how important is it for this offense to come off of this road trip and be confident in themselves? Yeah, I think the guys have to come out mashing today, and I don't think there's really a question about it to really set the tone. Padres are feeling really good. Juan Soto's busting out of his funk. They're a very confident team, sweeping the Diamondbacks. They're taking, winning three against the Diamondbacks over the weekend. Uh, I think that there's been a little bit of, of scuffling from the Cardinals' perspective, but that five games and four days against the Reds will do that to you. Uh, maybe the uh, bringing back Juan Yepes can shake things up a little bit. Nolan Gorman obviously been scuffling a bit. Maybe a good idea for him to kind of reset with most of his at-bats going to Albert anyway. So I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, I think that heart of the order, uh, starting with Brendan Donovan really in the two spot to Goldie. Again, I'm not worried about, if I'm worried about, like, my least concern, it's Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, dude has been an MVP player all year. I'm not too worried about two weeks of the season. But I would like to see the Cardinals come out swinging, aggressive, either against Mike Clevenger, Adam Wainwright. Should be a good first of three games here at Peco Park. Katie, what are you expecting the role to be for Juan Yepes? I think the Cardinals, especially with Tyler O'Neill out now with injury, yes, they had Dylan Carlson back, but he hasn't really been used against right-handed pitchers, you know, since the trade deadline. I think that Yepes brings a bench bat with some power, and he can play some corner outfield. I know he's not their best defensive option out in right or left field, but he does bring a pretty powerful swing. He's not overly splitty. He can mash the right-handers as well. And I think that's what the Cardinals are searching for to kind of shake up the offense a little bit. Yeah, this has been working really hard for Memphis, taking some quality at bats. It's what the Cardinals wanted to see from him and why he wasn't one of their September call-ups earlier. So to see the quality of the bats improve, the swing, the fundamentals, the mechanics, those all look good for Memphis. I think the hope is is that he can bring a little bit of spark to an outfield that needs it offensively. Speaking of roles, Katie, what did you make of the Nolan Gorman news? And we kind of felt like this was inevitable, but it's always tough to see a guy who has been very good for the large chunk of the season be sent back down to Memphis. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Nolan Gorman's been, you know, it's his rookie year. He's had to weather a lot. He's been very dependable for the Cardinals, but it was just coming down to a lack of an opportunity for him to improve. I asked Ali Marmo last week, the expectation, the organization's expectation and their role for him going forward. And Ollie was candid as he usually is pretty honest and saying, he doesn't really have one right now because when they would usually use him off the bench, playing the matchups, those at bats have gone to Albert and not, I mean, everyone's all in on the chase of 700. I mean, who are we kidding? But Albert's been their best, one of their best overall bats, not just bench bats, in the entire second half. So he was getting a lot of the bats. Uh, when you're looking at a defensive perspective, Donovan's a better second baseman, and the Cardinals need to keep Donovan in the lineup every day because he's been so overall productive. There was just a lack of opportunity for Gorman at the big league level at this time. 
crunch time. Cardinals need to win as many games as possible going into October. I think the, I mean, the organization is still so high on Gorman. They still obviously believe in him. He's only 22 years old. I think at this point, though, it made sense for him to continue getting reps while he still can before the AAA season ends and hopefully bring him back eventually. Katie Wu is our guest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. You can find her work over at The Athletic. She's had some really good pieces lately. Last night she posted one about the broadcasters yeah. and how they've prepared for the the season really overall for Albert Pools, but now leading into this chase for 700. You can find that again over on The Athletic or on her Twitter account at Katie J. Wu. Katie, I did want to ask you about the pitchers over the next couple of days because Wayno was on the mound tonight. Then you've got Miles Michaelis. Wayno has allowed 26 hits in his last three starts. Miles Michaelis has allowed 13 hits in his last two starts, including seven earned runs. They've gone through a little bit of a lull here. What are you expecting of them over the next couple of days? Yeah, I think, I mean, we're talking a lot about the offense and rightfully so, because that seems to be the, the relevant storyline. But the rotation that the Cardinals have lined up in San Diego and Wayne Wright, Michaelis, and Jack Flaherty all have some interesting storylines right now. I don't think anyone is concerned about Adam Wainwright or Miles Michaelis or feel like they need to prove something. Others might say that about Jack. But the first two that we're going to see, Adam today, or his last start, admitted he's been going through a dead-arm period over the past couple of weeks, something he would never admit while he was going through it but felt that he was coming out of it. He felt more optimistic, feeling like he had more action in his arm, felt livelier. It'll be interesting to see if that stuff matches the feeling today. Miles Michaelis, when his pitch arsenal, all five pitches are working, he is one of the most dominant right-handed pitchers in the game. He's been struggling a little bit in perfecting that arsenal. I don't think it's a durability thing. I know what you're looking. You look at the innings he's pitched this year. Missed all of 2020, missed most of 2021. You think, is it fatigue? He's adamant it's not fatigue, that he feels good. I think it's more or less just better pitch selection and better placement. So that's what I'm looking for for those two. And for Jack Flaherty, I think I'm just looking for more consistency overall. I mean, he's shown flashes of greatness. He's shown the flashes of the fastball slider combo when he was elite. I don't think it's, again, he's missed so much of the season. He, I, he may have expectations of being the 2019 version of himself. Whether or not that's fair isn't really my call to say. But I think some consistency out of Jack where he's able to, you know, maybe not to quality start would be great for the Cardinals to see as well. Katie, final one from me. And since we're talking of pitching, we all know that uh, I think we all agree that Dakota Hudson has ace potential. We saw it his last start. Uh, What do you feel like his role is going to be down the stretch? Because him being on the taxi squad tells me that they feel like there's something here for him. Yeah, I remember BK being super high on Dakota Hudson Absolutely. all season long. All season long. Yeah, all long. Katie, thank you. Give me my credit. We all were. Um, I thought Dakota Hudson was a completely different pitcher, and not just in how he looked on the mound, but even his demeanor post-game. He was very serious throughout the season, and you know, I know that you can't read too much into how a guy acts during his post-season interviews, but after his start against Cincinnati, he was smiling, he was cracking jokes, he just looked relieved, like he figured something out, like, all the times he had stressed over the last six months trying to figure out some consistency, trying to find some results. Obviously, it's not easy to accept an option when you've been in the big leagues for X amount of years like Dakota did. And he was honest in saying he had a talking to himself on his drive to Memphis where it was kind of like a wake-up reality check. Something needs to change. And he came back with a completely different demeanor. I'm not sure what the Cardinal, what his, his role is going to be with the organization. Um, Cardinals have seemed to have at least four playoff caliber pitchers, and we'll see about Jack. You know, if he's right, I obviously would put him right up there. Jose Quintana has been excellent. Jordan Montgomery has been excellent. I'm not quite sure, again, what his role could be, whether it's to notch some starts and give some starters some rest going through the rest of the season if the Cardinals do end up clinching early. Or maybe the Cardinals feel like they've unlocked something and he's a, 
a valuable piece in the bullpen for long relief? I'm not sure, but definitely an encouraging start from Dakota and something the Cardinals have been waiting to see all season long. Katie, we'll get you out of here on this. We've got a couple of texters that have said that they're in San Diego for this Cardinal series for the next few days. What are your number one, what, what are your top recommendations in terms of restaurants that they have to get to while they're in San Diego? Okay. Oh, I could go on and on about this. I will. If you are a food hall person or you like a public market setting, Liberty Public Market in Point Loma, I was there yesterday, has any kind of food you could possibly want. Great setting. It's right by the airport so you can watch the airplanes take off like every five minutes. It's pretty much my dream ideal lunch scenario. If you like beach weather, um, anywhere in Pacific Beach, they have all these restaurants lined up where you're facing the ocean. It's beautiful. I was at PB Shore Club. May or may not have crushed a couple beers there yesterday on the off day. Um, OB Noodle House in Ocean Beach, fantastic vibes, fantastic atmosphere, and they have these little peanut butter whiskey shots that I may or may not have done after the beers at Shore Club. Okay. And <laughs> I hate it was beers, peanut butter whiskey, I respect it. What an off day. It's a good off day in San Diego. Living my best life yesterday, you guys. Awesome places. And if you're by the ballpark and you want a good California burrito, go to Lolita's. It's amazing. You haven't lived until you've had French fries in your burrito. Well, Katie, the one thing you don't know about BK is he doesn't like the beach. He likes to be at a pools looking at the beach because he's afraid of it. Yeah, there's nothing better. I'm sure Katie does the same thing. No. Katie likes the no. beach. No. No, okay. BK. Oh, my goodness. We have so much to work with you on. <laughs> Katie, that we appreciate the time. <laughs> until next time, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Talk next week. You got it. That's Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN. I don't feel like you gave piece? her the full context there. No, no. I gave her the exact context. Can we clip that T-bone and use that later? For so sure. Much, so much to work on with you, BK. Like getting shot with a paintball gun, hopefully. Yeah. Keep voting, people. Coming up next, I'm reading a headline here. This is the news. A player at a St. Louis chess cu- uh, cup was accused of using anal beads to cheat. We'll tell you that story next what? here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. think that your opponent cheated in a chess match that's the real question that is at hand right now after a tournament in st louis has gained not just national attention guys but international attention so that's a fair question (laughs) well i beat you According to a story, this comes from the Riverfront Times. They recapped the situation, but again, this has become international news all over the world. There was a massive chess match between a guy who was considered to be one of the greatest chess players ever. I think he was like the grandmaster. Yep. Magnus Carlsen. I apologize if you are a chess fan and I mess up any of these names. That's on me. I should be better, but these are my best pronunciations. He was playing. He's 31 years old. He was playing against Hans Niemann. And Hans Niemann is 19 years old. Magnus is considered to be one of the best ever. He's a five-time grand champion. He's unbelievable. He never loses. This Neiman guy is kind of like the up-and-comer, right? He's, he's Everybody thinks he's really good, but he has no chance against this guy. Well, he beat him. And people have been wondering, like, okay, how'd that happen? 
that's not supposed to happen in chess. Why can't the 19-year-old who's an up-and-comer just win the match? Well, what happened afterwards was Magnus withdrew from the tournament the very next day after this took place oh, where he 19 lost. year old no this is the guy, the guy that, that is lost. the the that he lost he okay. was the, one of the goats right he then did an interview saying quote if i speak i'm in big trouble basically implying that he believes that his opponent cheated in the chess matches he's not allowed to say that publicly you're not supposed to come out and say like your opponent apparently opponent cheated so there's been a lot of speculation as to what happened here. Was there cheating involved? It's like an underground and layer of chess club. That I don't this know about. has gone through a number of different people having their theories. Vice put out there that they think maybe the kid used vibration based buttons in his shoes. Um, there have been other people that have come out, including Elon Musk, who have said that he may have cheated using X, Y and Z. And it, it got all the way. This has basically become a game of telephone, right? How do you cheat at, te- at chess? So apparently there, I'm not familiar enough with all of this stuff to really give you a great explanation. But based on my understanding, there are these chess like computers that you can attach your like a button to that you. tells you the best move to go to? Basically, yeah. That, that's my understanding huh. of it. And I could be interpreting it wrong, but I believe that that ends up being the case. And moral of the story, somebody has now accused him of using something that would have been around his prostate, like a bead around his prostate, to signify what the next move should be. So his prostate would vibrate to tell him what move to make? Yeah, that's correct. What a cheating scandal. (laughs) This is so much better than Deflategate. Like any football scandal that we've had over the last 20 years. Well, yeah, there's cheating. There's sex toys involved. Of course, this is more scandalous than deflate gate. Are you kidding me? I can't believe that this exists in chess. I had no idea, but I don't understand. Like, so let's say that his anal beads buzz. How does that tell me what spot on the board to go to? I'm sure it's got like a... I don't even know. I would assume. That's what I'm saying. Like, it can tell you, you. When you look at a board, it's got, um, like, you, I don't know if you guys have seen this before, but, like, they've got, like, a screen that'll show you where everybody's move is gone, and it'll show, like, D5 is where the pawn is or something like that in white. I'm assuming it's something like that yeah. where it so vibrates it's like a the certain, Morse code of yeah. anal beads where it, like, buzzes, yeah. like, four times for the letter D and six times. Yeah, D6. 65780 wow. is your cover service text line. From the 314. Guys, he made a move in the match that no human would ever think of making. Only a chess engine would do it. Also, he said he, quote, prepped for the opening move, except for the opening move requires you to study for an opponent's previous game history, and his opponent had never in his life played that opening move in his history. So, how do you prepare for a move? that the other player has never made before. There's a whole lot of scandalous stuff yeah. going on in this, man. It's like, this is intense. Did you ever a, watch Queen's Gambit, doc- by the way? No, I didn't. I haven't seen this it. This is a Netflix oh, documentary so that's going to be coming. It's so good. Did they do this in Queen's Gambit? There were no anal beats involved. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> At least okay. as far as I'm aware of. T-Bone's like, oh, am I watching now then? All I know... Somebody said PK's going to start playing chess now. <laughs> <laughs> or at least use him on his football picks. All I know is this is going to be one heck of a stain on the game of chess. <laughs> Deanie Mack got a class of this join up coming up at 1.30. But coming sure? up next, Dakota Hudson. What is his role on this Cardinals team, Alex?
uh, ace. We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. The Cardinals made the bigger move yesterday that we talked about earlier, adding Juan Yepes to their active roster. They sent down Nolan Gorman. There's another move that kind of went under the radar, though, Alex. They decided to add Dakota Hudson to their taxi squad, and he's going to be with them for this West Coast swing through San Diego and Los Angeles. Now, I don't want to make too much of this. It could be as simple as they, for travel purposes, wanted to have a pitcher ready to go. If anybody were to get hurt over the next week or so, instead of having to get them from Memphis to San Diego or Los Angeles with the quickness, they've got Dakota Hudson already there. And he can just immediately be added to the roster. Let's be honest, he probably wasn't going to add much to his resume by what he, whatever he does out in Memphis. They saw him perform very well over the weekend. Keep that guy with you. Makes a whole lot of sense for everybody involved. However, if you were going to read too much into this, it could appear that Dakota Hudson is a part of plans down the stretch. What do you think his role could be? for this team as we move forward here into the late month of September. I mean, I think it could be a legit bullpen piece for them. I don't think he's going to be getting playoff starts because I think the top four are locked in right now. And I think Flaherty's fighting for that fourth spot because I think Quintana has pitched better than Jack. But I do think that Dakota Hudson could be the same weapon as a Steven Matz out of the bullpen. And I guess the hard part is if Jack Flaherty's not in your rotation, Jack Flaherty's in the bullpen, but if, if this is the Dakota Hudson, and that's why, I re- joking aside, I did want to ask Katie that because he seemed to be a different pitcher. Maybe the pitch clock truly did help him. Maybe something clicked where he's like, look, I don't want to be going back to Memphis, so I'm going to fix whatever my issues were. But if you're if you're this ground ball pitcher that we truly think you, you are, I mean, couldn't he be an Andre Pallante role for you out of the bullpen? Maybe to where he pitches well against both sides, because I know Palante has got the heavy, um, the heavy splits, but maybe Dakota Hudson could be that guy that comes out of the bullpen of danger erupts pretty quickly. Yeah. I, I think he's worth giving a look at coming out of the bullpen and based on what he did in his last start, I think it's worth, cause like before that, like I thought that was just going to be a spot start. You're going to get the typical Dakota Hudson outing five innings, walks like four, somehow leaves with only giving up three runs. But he was much better, and he looked better like something had clicked. And Katie mentioned that when we talked to her. So I think what you do is I, I think what they're I think what they're probably going to do. He is probably there in case they clinch, and then they decide to skip somebody on a start. That's probably one route that they're considering. I think another one is is if he gets after his four days of rest. I wonder if they quote unquote pull him off of the taxi squad, and then they option down like a Packy not. I mean, they got four left-handers yeah, that's what I was thinking. in this bullpen right now. You got uh, Packy's one of them, Zach Thompson, JoJo Romero, and Steven Matz. And I don't think all four of those lefties will be on a playoff roster because, I mean, we're still talking about potentially seeing Jose Quintana end up being into the bullpen if he doesn't end up getting a top-four starter role. So I think you look at Dakota Hudson, and I agree with you. I don't... It, I can't see any scenario in which he's starting a playoff game for you, but he could potentially be a weapon for you out of the pen. He can cover two, three innings if you need him to, or he can come in and be that ground ball guy, serve kind of as that role that Matt Bowman and uh, Sean Manis served as in the past, or Seth Manis, excuse me, served as in the past. Guys that are sinker balls can get you 
balls on the ground and potentially turn double plays if they come into a tight situation. So I think it's worth considering once he's gotten his four days rest, you call him off the taxi squad and you option down like a Packy Naughton and just yeah. see what it looks like out of the bullpen. And if it doesn't work, you can go back to Packy Naughton at some point. I mean, I don't think you can get another start out of him, which means you can't really give him an opportunity to over to outplay Quintana or Flaherty for one of those rotation spots. But I mean, I would like to see him more reps out of the bull because that's my biggest question. And I heard Klaves talk about it with, uh, with Kerry and Randy this morning, you got to have a guy who can take on that role out of the bullpen. And you just don't know who can be that role player for the team. Yeah. I, I just, I'm trying to figure out what the pitching staff is going to look like in the wild card round. Like I've got right now as of my three starters, Michaelis, Wayne, Montgomery. I think that's the easy, yeah, like the, the, the safe money is on those three guys making the starts in the, in the wild card round. But then you look at the bullpen and I, I really do think that there are roles that are up for grabs. Helsley and Gallegos are guaranteed to be locked down back of your bullpen relievers. I think Polante Thompson and Romero are going to be a part of the playoff roster and will probably see high leverage innings for this team. I think that you could put Matt's into that category as well. But then, like, right now, between Flaherty, Stratton, Woodford, Hudson, Naughton, I think all of those guys are battling for, like, a couple of roles on the uh, in, in this bullpen Quintana. going into the playoffs. Uh, yeah, throw in Quintana into that mix as well. See, I wonder if there's a battle between Quintana and Flaherty to be that fourth guy so where they're not on the wild card roster because they will start game one of the NLDS. Maybe that's the battle that you're going to get between those two. The loser of that battle does go into the bullpen, and if it's Quintana that's going into the bullpen, well, then that's where Dakota Hudson comes into play because you got two long-arm lefties, and then I, you can have two long-arm righties. I think you're right on the read with Naughton. I don't think he's making this playoff roster because you've already got potentially Thompson, Romero, Matt, and Quintana as lefties coming out of your bullpen. Like, do you really need a fifth lefty coming out that's going to give you length when you've already got that from Matt and Quintana and Thompson could provide you that potentially if needed as a left-handed reliever? I think the answer is probably no. So then you've got Flaherty and I would guess Stratton and Hudson. Maybe those would be the three guys that I would add to that group. And I'll be honest. You want I Stratton don't... in there? I don't know if I'm they not would, sure if he's going to be on it or not. I would I, put I Hudson know. over Stratton. I, I don't know. Right now, I'd probably say Stratton over Hudson, but I, it's just because I want to see what Hudson looks like coming out of the bullpen. And same, same with like Flaherty. I, I, I forgot Hicks too. Like Hicks is going to fit him. into this mix as well. Oh, yeah. yeah, Hicks is going to be. There's there. going to be a surprise that doesn't make this playoff, this wild card roster. I, I think in your pitching staff. I think it's potentially Flaherty. I, I don't. I don't know if you would feel safe putting him. Safe may be the wrong word, but. Do you really want to have a guy that's made, what's he going to be up to, five, six starts coming off his second injury? Do you really want to just send him to the bullpen and have him be a quote-unquote bullpen weapon piece for you? I that mean, I, screams I just don't, Michael Waka. I, yeah, like I don't, I don't feel comfortable in doing that. And I don't think he's – I know he did it a little bit last year, and he was on the playoff roster last year for the wild card game. But honestly, I would have him, whether he's the fourth starter or not, I don't know if I would carry Jack Flaherty on a wild card game postseason roster let's go through this real quick Let, let's go through quickly on how many arms you think they're carrying yeah, I was gonna say, I'd that's say the 12 first question. I think they go 12 arms for a three game series and 14 see position I think, players I think they'd go I think they'd go 13 arms I just don't think you need that many for a three game series because you can reset it once you get into the the DS yeah, I think they'd you... probably go 13 for the DS but I think you want more position players to be able to deploy them accordingly uh, see, you I... might have a specialized runner like I I would not be surprised if they end up actually bringing uh, what's his face, Bendelugio, on yeah, their playoff, yeah. on their wild so let's card say roster as a runner. Let's say twelve player. Gives you nine bullpen options. You know, you know, works. three of the twelve: Wayno, Michaelis, and Montgomery. We so, all can agree on that. Yeah, and then Helsley's going to make it, yep. right? 
So that's four. Gallegos. Yep. yep. I, think Hick, I, I think Hicks is a lock, so you put Hicks there. Plante and Hicks are locks, so that's seven. Seven. Mats. Yep. Eight. Quintana. I think he's a lock. Nine. Quintana? Yeah. I think so, because I think if you're going to carry lefties, I would like to have... I think it's either Quintana or Flaherty. I think one of those two is a lock for that spot in the bullpen. Unless they look at Quintana as the guy that, that hey, let's have him start game one of the NLDS. I think they might, but you ha- I think you carry him in the wild card round and just, just not use him. Okay, so let's say Quintana. So if that's the case, then I think you lock four lefties in, so you're up to 12. Thompson and Romero. Sorry, 11, excuse me. Yep. And then the other guys that are available to you that you'll determine on are Flaherty, Stratton, Woodford, and Hudson. And, and, see, and I, think I, would, I think I would take Hudson. I got to see him out of the bullpen before I do it. And that's why I think that's why I think he's on the taxi squad now. I, 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 it's possible he is up on the taxi squad for when they clinch. I know they've talked about doing a skip, skip somebody and have him do a spot start. That makes sense, but it, honestly, if you're going to do that, I would honestly just go with Woodford, and I want to see what Hudson looks like coming out of the pen. I don't think, as good as Woodford's been, and I didn't realize how good he's been until I went back and looked at his nope. number since his recent call-up, I don't see a role for him on the playoff uh, I, Flaherty just, and, and, you know, if you get peak Flaherty, then great, but Flaherty just gives me a lot of Michael Waka postseason vibes. I think right now you're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six guys fighting for two spots. It's Quintana. Flaherty, Stratton, Woodford, Hudson, and Naughton. Yeah. I think those six guys are battling for the final two spots in your bullpen in that wild card round. I think the best case scenario is that Flaherty earns one of those spots. And then you can do what you were mentioning, Alex, where you say, you know what, Quintana's going to be our game one starter in the NLDS. We're not going to have him go out there and potentially throw us two innings in the wild card round. We need That's going to be Flaherty's role for us because we're not expecting him to start early uh, in these in this postseason for us. Maybe he would get a start of the CS. Right. I think that's the best case scenario. And then I think it comes down to Stratton, Woodford, and Hudson for that final spot. Those three guys battling yeah. for the last spot. And maybe that's an upside. Maybe that's what they decided to do is up- send down Naughton, bring up Hudson, allow him to pitch out of the bullpen and find out what that looks an like. An upside, I think Hudson's the guy for you because he can be the ground ball. We saw, you know, I know people don't look at him as a strikeout guy, but maybe he found something there with his time down in the minors. But I think upside is Dakota Hudson. But T-Bone's right. As much as I love Dakota I got to see you perform as the role player out of the bullpen rather than just say, well, you're great at starting right now. We'll throw you in the bullpen because that can be disastrous. I, I think Stratton, I think he would be the guy that you'd take in this scenario. And if you decide ultimately that Quintana is that number four for you, you leave him off. And I don't know if you carry Jack Flaherty still. I think you look at Hudson there because I don't, for some reason, Flaherty in the bullpen coming yeah. off the injuries, I just don't feel comfortable in doing it coming out of the bullpen like would, that. He's never he really been a bullpen though. arm. I, I agree. He I can use, earn it, but if he continues to pitch like he has, agreed. I think you put yeah. Dakota Hudson or Woodford on the, in that spot, and you carry Stratton, you only carry three lefties. And your length comes from Palante slash Hudson in that scenario, or Woodford. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll talk this over with Danny Mack. What does he want to see with the figuring out of the bullpen roles going into the playoffs? What does he need to see from that group over the next eight days as we're watching the Cardinals go up against legit playoff caliber teams? Talk to Dan about that coming up at 1.30. If you guys want to get your final votes in on what my punishment should be for this week's Pick'em Challenge, you can do exactly that over at 101 ESPN, the app. The poll closes at 1.30. On Twitter, at 101 ESPN. You've got about 15 minutes left to do that. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for better to forget it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line for better or forget it, guys. Better or forget it. Jordan Cairo finishes the year with the most goals on the Blues this season. Uh, forget it. I think Vladdy's going to have a big year. <laughs> Contract. Everyone's saying the shoulders bummed. Nobody wanted to trade for him. Yeah, I think Vladdy's going to. I think Vladdy will lead the team in goals. I think Cairo could. Cairo will be a close second and I think Pavel Buchnevich will be up there also I think those will be your top three goal scorers this season I bet it I think that Jordan Kyrou is going to lead the Blues in goals this year Tanner I think I'm going to bet this too I think Kyrou has a big year really the guy who said he's better than Vladdy is yeah. bet this I agree with I mean, you though he wasn't I, far off I do think Vladdy has a big year I think he puts up similar numbers as he did last year around that 82 point threshold because he is in, in a contract year but I mean you're paying Kyrou to become this big goal scorer so he's going to have some pressure live up to the contract I think he takes the next step in his second full season with Craig Berube. So I'll bet this. I'll say he leads the Blues, and I'll say he gets like 35, 37 goals. Better to forget it, guys. Albert Pujols will hit 700 in the Dodgers Stadium this week. So we got three games against San Diego. Two of those he's going up against. I guess only one. One yeah. a lefty. And then he's got all three games in L.A. Yeah, I'll say pitching. I'll say I'll bet this one because I think by that last game against the Dodgers, you could see it, especially if you get one lefty, a pinch hitting role. You figure that they're using him off the bench when a lefty comes out of the bullpen in the San Diego series. Pujols hits one there. I'll bet this one. I think he hits it against Kershaw. That would be perfect. A curveball coming in from Kershaw at Dodger Stadium on Apple TV. Uh, That is Friday night against Heaney. This would be Saturday. Good. I'm going to forget this. I think he does it in Milwaukee. I don't think he'll get as many at-bats in San Diego. He'll get one in in, uh, L.A., and then I think he does it in Milwaukee. Poor Taylor Rogers. He's going to come in. Oh, Taylor. He's going to be Craig Council on the mound. Why are you doing this to me, man? Taylor. There goes 700. If if I'm Taylor and and, uh, Council puts me in there, I'm just going to heave him up a a lob and just say, here you go, Albert. That's what ended their season. Take that, Craig. The Brewers' chances of winning the division were basically ended on that Albert Pujols swing. That was it. That was it's game over. That in trading Josh Hader, even though Josh and Hader. Now apparently Albert's going to just end their playoff hopes with a bomb in Milwaukee. <laughs> Everyone says that Albert's going to hit it on Friday on Apple TV. God, don't be so negative, text line. Please Apple TV don't. would be great, man. I, I wouldn't even play him. I, I say, <laughs> Albert, I'm sorry. Oh, you're not, in the lineup you're not today. playing Friday, buddy. I'm sorry. There's a lefty on the mound. But. I, I know it's a lefty, but we can't we can't put you out there, man. It's the first, first game in L.A. You can come in late in the game, and we're going to let you lay down you a bunt. Disrespect. It's going to be a sacrifice bunt. You can't disrespect our guy Danny Mac that way by no. letting him hit it on Friday. It can't happen. I, I, agree. I If Dan Dan should go into Ollie's office this week while they're in San Diego and say, Ollie, you got to play him against Clevenger and Musgrove because he needs Friday off. Hey, Dan, when you do that, will you please mention Goldie needs to leave off? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tanner is eating underwear soon, ladies and gentlemen. How many games? We're like, we're 16 games away, my man. No, it's, 14. It's just about over for you, man. It's just about over. Deep fry him, buddy. I, they might taste better. I can't even complain. By the way, Albert batting second against a lefty <laughs> happened before Goldie hey, leading off. If so. you deep fry him, they might taste better. Hey, but to be fair, when I said he should lead uh, off, I didn't think he was going to be an MVP. <laughs> I really didn't. Someone's backtracking. Okay. Better to forget it. Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson are in the Cardinals starting outfield for game one of the wild card round. 
I'm going to forget this one because I don't know if Tyler O'Neill is healthy enough for it. I'm, I'm concerned another hammy strain might uh, keep our boy out for a while. Maybe he will be, but I'm going to forget this one. I think Carlson, I think it's like what we talked about earlier. I think it'll be Carlson, one of Dickerson or Newpar and Yepes. Oh man, I think I'm going to, I'm going to bet this. I'm going to hope that O'Neill's hamstring ends up being be healthy. So I'll, I'll bet that he's in the line. I'll be curious. I think they'll stick with Carlson in center field and keep move him to left. But can I be honest? I'd rather see Dickerson in left field than in right field. So can, how about we consider O'Neill in center, Carlson no, in no, right? Oh, God, no, no. You Come on, me? man. I've seen what O'Neill looks since. like in center. But have I you don't seen Dickerson to... in right? Yeah, the perspective <laughs> Dickerson for, in the outfield, for man. O'Neill, I just <laughs> leave things be. Let Tyler O'Neill go out there and just play. Actually, I wonder That's if they put I Donovan know. in right. I don't know. Then you got to go with never mind. Yeah, no. no. There's nobody Sorry. in the infield, but I'm putting Can Carlson just play all three? Is that cool? Yeah, how about two outfielders? Softball rules. Let's go four outfielders. I mean, that feels dicey. Arnado's got oh. the whole left side. Oh, you think it's dicey? A little bit. You and your <laughs> stupid math, man. <laughs> Matt, that's the problem. Uh, I would go. What is he? Alex has a guy playing on third, on first, and behind second. Yeah. It's going to be great. What's the problem? The caps are going to be awesome. If it gets through the infield, then it's on the pitcher. The guy's not getting yeah. to second base. So, like, pitch outfielders. What if you did a short outfielder? Pitch to, pitch to contact in the air, man. Yeah. That's what we need. We don't need it on the ground. Dakota Hudson can do it. I don't know why nobody else can. I'm going to be optimistic. I do think Tyler O'Neill gets back on the field. They did not seem overly concerned. Now, yeah, listening done to that their before. level of concern has not always paid off for me in the past, but I think Tyler O'Neill will be fine. I, I'm hopeful that they caught this on the front end. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for uh, bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. The Eagles win the NFC this year. Bet it. Wait, the NFC or oh, the, the NFC? NFC? East? NFC. They represent the NFC in the Super Bowl this year. Oh, I'll bet this one. I, I think I'm gonna forget the this Rams one. are soft. I I always think you have to kind of go through a bit of a learning curve still in the playoffs, and I'm not sure. I think Hurts will have that moment, and I trust more the veterans in the NFC than I still do Jalen Hurts when it comes to the lights being the brightest and it being the a playoff being the game. Yeah, it's the actually. brights being the lightest, Whatever. man. Get your head right. Um, <laughs> I, I still lean towards like Tom Brady in a playoff game, even though Tom Brady's still not the same. Clearly, doesn't look like the same guy. Stafford the same way. Uh, if the Cowboys find a way in, I'll trust Dak still. So I, I think I'm not going to believe this, or not going to bet this. Forget it. I'm forgetting Whatever this as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to bet this yet. I still want to see it the rest of the year from Jalen Hurts. I do think they're an, a really good team, though. Like, shouldn't surprise anybody. They're right up there with the best of the best in the NFC, but I'm not betting this just yet. The guy who still thinks the AFC goes through the Chiefs. Final thing here. I think it's the Chiefs and the Bills. I think those are the clear-cut two best teams in the AFC. You said it wrong. It's the Bills, then the Chiefs. That's fine. I, I, I think they're. I think that's the. those are the best two teams in the NFL right now, in my opinion. I think it's those two. Uh, better to forget it, guys. The best bet in the NFL right now is the Jaguars at 3-1 to one to win the AFC South. That is one hell of a bet. I actually probably would put money down on that. Three to one is really good odds. I would put money on that. I think they're the best team that. in that division. Okay. The Colts are I'm, not going to win that division. Am I wrong? Who's Titan, the best team in that division? Titans are 0-2, man. They're already wondering if they got a quarterback problem. Forget our preconceived notions with what we have seen thus far on the field. The best team in the AFC South, based on the performance through two games, is who? It's the Jags. Uh, I don't know. Lovey Smith's defense, man. They forced a tie, and they kept Denver off the or out of the end zone. 
So I, Jax. I'll say it, because the way the question was asked, I'll say yes, bet it. But I still don't think Jacksonville wins the AFC South. Why? I, I'm just not just buying into. I'm not buying into Lawrence and that whole roster. So instead, you I would think, rather buy into the Colts and that. I and mean, old I Matt trust, Ryan. I, I trust Frank Reich to get that ship turned around. I in trust Indy. his former head coach Doug Peterson, who was an adult, and I don't know that we've ever seen a bigger upgrade at head coach. <laughs> he's, he's an adult. Look <laughs> at what they had. They had adult last year. <laughs> he's an adult. You went from Urban Meyer hey, to Urban's going to be Peterson. coaching Nebraska. Okay. That would be such a good hire or for Mizzou. them. Or Mizzou. Coming up in 15 minutes we will give Man. you the results of our pick em challenge punishment you have one more minute to get those votes in right now on the app 101 espn app it's free you could download it on your phone or over on twitter at 101 espn get those votes in now we'll give you the results at 145 danny mack is next we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll give you the results to this week's poll. But right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by Danny Mack, the Cardinals broadcaster for Bally Sports Midwest. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Danny Mac TV. Dan, we appreciate the time as always, man. Some good baseball coming up over the next week or so. Three against San Diego out there. Three against L.A. coming up this weekend. What are you most looking forward to on this road trip? Well, I guess a couple of things. One would be trying to wrap up the division before you get back home and then seeing if Albert can get to 700. Um, that Those are the, the two obvious ones. Um, I, I think if they can get there, I, I would be leaning towards skipping Wayno and Michaelis and give them some rest. Uh, I want to see Steven Matz again come out of the bullpen. I liked what I saw the other night. I think that's a plus. And let's see what Juan Yepes has got with him um, coming back up and, and now having a chance to maybe uh, get some at-bats, whether it's uh, the DH or playing some outfield. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that too. Dan, I was we just had the conversation about maybe what the role was going to be for Dakota Hudson. How do you think this pitching is going to play itself out if they do have the opportunity to uh, skip over a start for Wayno and Michaelis? Well, then you could just fit him, you know, you you figure out how to get through the games. But I, I think if you're looking at like Poten, um to me, it's, it's, if you can skip them a start, you, you're going to be able to, to hopefully see them bounce back. And, and when they've been pushed um, like a day back and sometimes a, a start or two that they, you know, through the all-star break or that kind of thing, they get that little break. Usually they come back and they bounce back very, very well. So that's the main reason you do it. And in terms of, you know, how you cover the games at that point, who cares because um, you've wrapped up the division. I, I would not do this unless uh, you've wrapped up the division, but uh, you know, time will tell. Dan, one of the things that we've had a lot of conversations about is the offense kind of sputtering lately. And a lot of that is just, Hey, the, the guys that have been amazing for you, they're going through a lull right now. Coldy's gone through a bit of a dry spell. Arnado went through a, a lull there for a little bit as well. I'm not worried about this yet. I do want to see what they look like, though, especially with this stretch of games. You've got three lefties on the mound expected to start for L.A. You've got Snell tomorrow night in this one as well. We know the Cardinals have crushed lefties when they've been right so far this year. Is that something that you're looking forward to as well as to see if this offense can get it going against quality pitching, but lefties 
Sure. Um, and I, I think the other thing, too, is that what it's shown us is that when Goldie and Arenado aren't going, um, it just it, it just shows you how important that they are. Uh, they have been the offense many, many times this season. Now, Albert's been great in the second half. You know, you'd get a, a, a stretch or two, a, you know, maybe a week run here. But Tommy Edmond, he got off to a great start. But he is a very important. Brendan Donovan's very important. But I think when you see these lefties, maybe it gets them back on track. And uh, I, I definitely want to see them hit. I mean, that those last five games against Cincinnati weren't pretty. And generally speaking, in the homestand, the offense wasn't there. So they're going to have to pick it up. Dan, what did you make of the Nolan Gorman news that we got yesterday? I think it's the right thing, to be quite honest. Um, I, I was thinking that it was actually one of the things I was going to ask Ali today, uh, just thinking about some of the things I want to ask him um, on the plane last night, but was was this move? Was, is it beneficial to have uh, Yepes get a little run here and send Nolan Gorman down? I mean, right now he's he's in a bad funk, and, um, and you're not going to play him against lefties, and righties are getting him out too. And with the, you know, he's going to have to learn and he will, he's young, but the, the high pitch, the high fastball, he's going to have to lay off that. I mean, if you can dot that and, and control it against him, you're going to have success. So I think it's good for him to go down, reset, get some at bats in. And, uh, and by the time that uh, the season's over, see where he's at. But uh, I think it was the right thing to do for him and for the club. Danny Mack is our guest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Dan, how do you think this outfield configuration is going to go? Right now, when they've got Tyler O'Neill on the injured list, you just bring up Juan Yepes, as you mentioned. What do you think they're going to be doing out there, especially over the next week or so? My guess is you mix and match. Um, and I, I would say at this point, uh, Carlson does not play against a righty, um, even though he's a switch hitter, but what he's done from the left side is not what needs to be uh, done. Um, I, I think you got to give somebody else a run. Um, and that even means Juan Yepes potentially against right-handers. I'd be fine with that. And then once you get through, let's say halfway of the game, you know, you make your defensive adjustments if you're tied or have the lead. Um, and that's how I would approach it. I think Ollie's done a really good job of mixing and matching and making sure that Dickerson is getting a run and, uh, you know, Tyler O'Neill obviously is out, but others get them that run. But I, I think the other thing, BK, as to why they did this, they wanted to make sure, like, for instance, if this was the playoffs tomorrow, Tyler O'Neill would not have gone on the IL. And, and that's just, just talking to some people. You know, they, it's a maintenance thing that they want to do. But I think with the lineup and with the outfielders, to your original question, is that they'll mix and match. But once he comes back, I think he gets that run. And uh, and for the Cardinals' sake, hopefully he gets hot like he has been before. Dan, uh, I'm curious. Ken Rosenthal put a piece out earlier today, just kind of going through, you know, the the ranking the award races around Major League Baseball, and he brought up kind of the Manager of the Year in the National League award, and talked about you know Buck Showalter and Dave Roberts and Brian Snitker, Snitker but he did mention Ali Marmol should be in the conversation. Do you think that this week, this stretch of road games? could potentially put Ollie towards the top of the manager of the year conversation? Oh, I, I don't know. I, I think anytime that you're managing in New York and you have success <laughs> and it, it's a guy that has had success with the Yankees before and now with the Mets, that's tough to beat in his first year. I, I would just, if I was a voter I, I, and could tell them um, like my, what I see is number one is manipulation of the lineup has been really good. So he's been smart with that. He's kept guys healthy. 
when they had that terrible stretch, uh, you know, when the team was down in Atlanta, they got through it, they bounced back. But I, I think the thing that I would say most important is that managing these guys in their final years, that's a hard thing to do. You know, you're, you're trying to be, um, number one, win games, but be respectful to the fans and let them get a look at these guys when you're on the road the final time or, you know, certainly at home. Um, now the eight game lead or whatever it is now going into play tonight makes it a little bit easier. So if you want to start, you know, Albert against a righty, you can do that. But um, I think it's the way that he's handled that and, and it's been really good and his uh, brutally honest assessments of situations or players, I think it's been welcome. And so I think he's done a really nice job. I think he'll get a run for the manager of the year. But like I said before, it's tough to beat out guys in their first year that are popular back in New York. It's just a fact. Dan, final question that I've got for you. We'll get you out of here on this one. Jordan Walker's season officially came to an end a couple of days ago down in double A Springfield season uh, concluded his final slash line for the year was 305, 385, and 510, which is outstanding for a kid of his age. I, I was curious, how, how's that line up compared to some of the other players his age at his level over the last decade or so? And here's some of the names that matched uh, those stat lines. Tulio Rodriguez, Joe Adele, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Austin Riley, Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, Xander Bogarts, Oscar Tavares, and Mike Trout. When you hear those names connected with Jordan Walker based on production, this is no longer about potential. What does that tell you about the season that Walker just put together? It's a hell of a year. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a heck of a year. And I think the next step for him is, is saying, okay, let's focus on a position for him that we know going forward that uh, you know he's going to be the everyday X, left, right, center, third, you know, my assumption would be that Nolan Arenado, he ain't going anywhere. So um, it's the outfield, and maybe I'd mix in a little first base too, um, depending on what happens with Goldie coming up in the next couple of years. He'll be up. But I think it's going to be fascinating to see what the Cardinals want to do with him um, going into spring training. So is he one of those guys that they already have figured out, hey, he starts at AAA, and that's where we're going to begin him no matter what? Or does he force his way onto the Cardinals roster, which could happen? You know, you go down there and just tear it up in Jupiter, and nothing surprised me. Um, the Cardinals have, are very aggressive with their young players. They have been under Gary LaRock and John Mozeliak, and I think it's smart in which they put that carrot out there for these players to see. I mean, there was one year in which 50% of the minor league system jumped a level. So it's there, and they promote guys. I think they've had 15 different promotions this year. Um, but do you want to start him for the full year or do you want to make sure that he is accustomed to an outfield position or um, making sure that he's ready for this next level? And by all accounts and from everybody I talked to, great kid, works his tail off and uh, will be an outstanding major leaguer. So you're careful with it, but yet he can force his way to making you make a decision that might make you uncomfortable, but boy, it'd be exciting to see him with the Cardinals next year. Hey, Dan, we appreciate the time as always. We'll be looking forward to watching you on the broadcast over the next few days out in San Diego. Cardinals versus Padres, 841st pitch tonight on Bally Sports Midwest. We'll talk with you again next week, my man. 
All right, buddy. Thanks. You got it. That's Danny Mac joining us live from San Diego, where the Cardinals and the Padres play a huge series uh, over the next few days here on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you've missed anything from today's show, including portions of that interview with Danny Mac, you can find it all over at 101ESPN.com or the free 101 ESPN app. The podcast is always presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. If you had been over on the app over the last few days, if you had been on on to our Twitter account at 101 ESPN, you had an opportunity to be able to vote on my punishment for this week in the football pick'em challenge. We'll give you the results of those polls coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I am like loser. I am regretting doing picks with you guys. Why? I hate everything about Maybe it. You should regret actually picking games. I, I regret all of it. All of it. The picks that I made, the fact that for the first time in the history of the NFL, on one day you had two teams come back from 20 points down in the fourth quarter, one of which was Alex's team that he needed to win. They did. One of which was my team that I needed to win. They lost the lead in that game. By the way, they're bringing all of the defensive players in because the Ravens suck at so defense. Both of those went against me, and I am putting these picks on. I, I'm I'm in protest right now of That's everything just, that has taken place. There's no protesting, man. Unfortunately, I lost, and so the Pick'em challenge is over, and you guys have made your voices heard. Yes, Alex, you have. What are the results? We had 923 votes, BK. A lot of people jumping in on this, including Katie Wu, Jeremy Rutherford, our own Mike Ryder. In third place, with 25.5% of the votes, it was pushing the football sludge. That so. was my vote. <laughs> it's really what well, I was hoping for here. BKO'd yourself then, buddy. Oh, boy. In first place, BK's punishment for week two of sucking at picking football games. Oh, come on, man. With 40% of the votes getting shot with a paintball gun. Let's go. That's what we want. How much is this going to hurt? Oh, it's going to hurt. And the fact that you got two of them? Yeah. Mm. No, I get Ooh. one. No, you got you two. You guys do not get two. We agreed last week. We agreed last week. No, we did not. Yes, this was did. never was a conversation. Off the air, yeah. off the air we no, said it's two. That one is for total each person. BS. Yeah. That never once did we talk about this last week. Yeah. Never. Yes, no, not we, a we single time. Hey, man, you're getting close to turning 30. Your memory's going. I remember it appropriately. Dude, here's the thing. You guys. 
you take the, the first green, one, you're not is. even going to feel the second one. <laughs> it's true. Oh, you're going to be so, so much. You're going to be so much pain for the second one. The first one's going to hurt. The I worst. need the text line to help Remember, me out. Six five seven eight zero zero. Oh yeah, that's where you need to go for help. Please explain to me how much this is going to hurt. Like, am I going to be all right? Look, it depends. Okay, so I've been hit. You think we're shooting with an actual bullet, man? It's a ball. I've I've been hit before where it doesn't hurt. Like it catches like just enough to where the fabric absorbs most of it. But I've been hurt like where it is like the perfect spot, and it will swell up, and it you will kind of be like you a welt on your arm or wherever we hit you. Like if I hit you, yeah, I'm trusting you guys if to I hit, hit me you, in that area. Like if you get hit in the back portion of your leg where your knee's at, that's gonna hurt. But if I hit you in the meaty part of your body in the butt cheek, then you'll be fine. Well, then don't miss. Uh, <laughs> hit my ass, all right? Whoa. I need you to hit me right in the booty. That's where I need this to go. Yeah. Well, that's about that. Neither T-Bone and I are marksmen, guys, so I, Friday, I take a couple of shots. I used to enjoy Fridays. Now they scare me because of the pickles. Yeah, I'm telling you, hate every, I'm not gonna be here Friday. Yeah. I'm not making picks. Yeah. So here's the thing bk's not here on friday so you'll have to wait for him serving this punishment on monday when he returns from his vacation so he's his punishment is hey, gonna maybe. have to carry over imagine if he loses sunday and all of his picks and he knows he's gonna get shot on monday and he's gotta, wait the and he's gotta do a result Ooh. on monday man Boy, but you do have to pick the next me. punishment so you get to choose Add since to you list. lost Oh, I'm going to make sure that this is awful. Olive in 270. Be careful. You uh, might be the one who ends up. Yeah, I was going to no, say. I'll be, I'll be careful with your choices these days. I'm not losing anymore. I don't know if there's I any more learned awful learned my ones. lessons. I am not taking the team that I, I... When I say a team stinks, I'm not taking that team. Auburn, looking at you. Oh, so, you, oh, so you're taking Mizzou? You're taking Mizzou plus seven and a half then? Yeah, that game will probably be in the pick. God, I hope you get that one. How you feeling, buddy? Not good. Yeah. Not good at all. Yeah. I'm feeling horrible. Absolutely. See, what's going to be great is when we do a post game interview and you're oh, like, oh, yeah. that didn't hurt as bad. Oh, no. He'll be crying. <laughs> he'll be crying. <laughs> no expletives, okay? Yeah. yeah, you can't cuss me. Well, we won't PG-13. be on there, so that's good. Oh, no. We'll there there might Live. be. I cannot promise you Facebook that at all. Live. Man, so we, we are going to have in two weeks, we're going to have somebody vomit on their punishment. Somebody said, then, it's definitely going to hurt. Don't you dare wuss out on this, though. In two punishments, we're going to have one person vomit and another person cry from pain. Yeah. And then we'll break you scared, Ferrari buddy? when he's got to go shopping in a hot dog I'm suit. not feeling great about this. Somebody else said I was bleeding the last time that I got hit by a... Well, it also depends that on how possible. close we shoot you. Like, my that's uncle, the thing. My uncle did bleed after one time he got hit. Oh, yeah. I got one in the, in the uh, thigh. This is his arm, though. I got one in the thigh, and that bruise was there for four weeks. And remember, my brother-in-law said he got yeah, uh, I know. a bigger gun in the compressor. It hurts more, so... Fantastic. I'm, I'm glad he had to do his paintball. Me too. You always I, this, get upgrade This was the only one that gun. I really didn't want. It's the only one. The other two, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll serve my punishment. I didn't want be the beer mile, and sure enough. <laughs> Someone said, Alex, aim for the Adam's apple. Oh, That'll be on. easy to hit. How's it, how's it make you feel that our Cardinals insider Katie Wu voted for the paintball gun shot, too? What if, Not like, good. What if the, I bet Dan what if the Cardinal too. individual that uh, messaged you about the mic muff, what if they voted for you getting shot with a paintball gun, no, too? Sure probably did. did. Too. He probably did. Damn. With Alex Ferrario and this Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, my aim. the fast lane here on 101 ESPN. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. We're talking to some blues tomorrow as well, down at the Centene Community Ice Center. We'll talk to you then here on 101 ESPN. No, BK. Oh, my goodness. We have so much to work with you on. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go! This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. 
work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.